Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Never would have guessed, guys, and I'm pumped up for today, right? I'm pumped up in general just for the weekend and, and everything. I'm pumped up every day on this show. That's right. I mean, we get to <laughs> come in and bless one another with each other's company, right? Why wouldn't you be thrilled? But we're going to go back and we're going to go to 1983, Jake, okay? 1983, Jake's 10 years old. Jake, you talk about yourself too much on the radio. I get it. I do a radio show, right? 1983, Jake is 10 years old. He's sitting in Allisonville Elementary School in the... Uh, fourth grade. And actually, I take that back. This might have been 82 now that I think about it. But at any rate, I'm in elementary school at Allisonville Elementary School, and they come over the loudspeakers to pump in our now sister station, WIBC, to listen live to the NBA coin flip. The coin flip of the NBA to determine who's going to have the number one overall pick in the draft. And when they flip that coin and it lands against the Indiana Pacers and the Houston Rockets win the number one overall pick, we knew then that Ralph Sampson was not going to be a Pacer. But it was a big enough deal at the possibility of getting Ralph Sampson, the seven foot four wonder out of Virginia, that they pumped it in live in elementary school for us to all hear. And at that time, if you were to go back in that vacuum and whisper to that 10-year-old kid, you know what? Years from now, and yes, many years from now, you're going to be doing a radio show of the sister station of the one you were just listening to talking about the fact that the All-Star game for the NBA is going to be played in Indianapolis, not at Market Square Arena, but in a newer arena that is going to be essentially the same age that Market Square Arena was when Market Square Arena was closed, but I digress. And you're going to have Ralph Sampson on your show to talk about the All-Star Game because in 1985, he was the MVP of the All-Star Game, and so he's going to revisit that and this coin flip. Jake Quarry, that's what you're going to talk about. I would say that has to be the lead. On that day that Ralph Sampson's coming on, that has to be the first thing that we talk about, right? And then they say, well, maybe not, because there's actually going to be a thing, Jake, in that future tense called the internet. And on the internet, there's going to be a guy named Adrian Wojnarowski <laughs> who breaks big-time stories about the NBA, including about your Indiana Pacers, and a star for the Indiana Pacers is going to be joining him in Broad Ripple for what's called a podcast on that on set internet. I'd go, really? That has to be the lead, right? So you've got you're telling me that that, that I'm going to have Ralph Sampson and Adrian Wojnarowski on the same day. That has to be the first thing that that, that is talked about, right? And they're going to say, well, not exactly, because Indiana State. Oh yeah, I know Indiana State. They had Larry Bird played there. I remember a couple years ago when I was in kindergarten, they were in the Final Four. They, I mean, they're so they're still really good in 2024. Well, yeah, but it's uh, it's kind of unheard of. They get ranked, and then when they get ranked. They turn around and get beat by Illinois State, a sub-500 team from their conference at home in a game that they're not really in. 
well, then that has to be like the lead thing, right? Well, kind of, except for that Butler. Wait a minute, Butler that plays in the like the Midwest Collegiate Conference that has like the little tick off the the two dollar tickets that played Evansville last night and we went to the game in front of eight hundred people. No, 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 it's a different Butler, but they still played Hinkle. But they're going to have a game against Marquette that Al McGuire used to coach, who's a ranked very good team, and they're going to play well and they're going to lose, but but not be totally disappointed by it because. They've done a lot of good work lately. And I would say, well, then which of those, I mean, that, that's all a ton to get to. Which of those is the lead? And they'd say, well, it might be the fact that IndyCar's made a change to their schedule. To which I would say, what? <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about today. So and, it's a low-key day. And it's a low-key day. We've got some breaking news. This just announced for Jeff Goodman that Ohio State and head coach... Chris Holtman yeah. have parted ways. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think that's a surprise to, to people, right? And you know, Chris Holt, and I, I I mean that that came off the wrong way. Sure. I think Chris Holtman's a heck of a basketball coach. And I think I. he I think he does a lot of really good things. I think he certainly at Ohio State this year it was a rough year. And you know, there were there was a lot of talk. People forget when Archie Miller was hired. I mean, there were people that were like, they should have gone after Chris Holtman. Now here is the thing for you. So so all of that said, young 10-year-old Jake, Ralph Sampson going to be on the show at 1230 on this day that we're talking about. Adrian Wojnarowski going to be on the show at 145 on this day we're talking about. Is that one now? He just asked to move because he's got a sports center hit at 2 o'clock. So which is that one now? So 10-year-old Jake. I love high-speed news. You have Ralph Sampson at 1230 on this day. You have Adrian Wojnarowski at 1 o'clock. You have Danny Lopez, who's helping put together the All-Star Game, coming to Indianapolis on the program. You have Eddie Gill, who played for the Pacers, coming on the show at 2.15 in that day. And yet, even with talking about Indiana State, young Jake, even in talking about Butler, young Jake, the team that we are actually going to talk about off the top, and it's going to come at the dismay of all of those probably that I just mentioned, because of the breaking news, is how it affects, that's correct, everything ties back in this town to Indiana University basketball. Everything comes back to Indiana University basketball. And life is about timing. And Todd Meyer, our executive producer who went to Purdue and loves the Boilers, is probably halfway down right now outside the studio to, to get mad because we're talking about IU. I get it. But life is about timing. And situations in sports are about timing. Matt Painter was on an AAU basketball trip with Todd Leary in the spring of 1989 when Jay Edwards announced he was leaving, got kicked off, Indiana's basketball program. And so a scholarship opened up and Leary and Matt Painter are sitting in a hotel room and Leary says, man, I'll be honest with you, like I'm probably going to go to Minnesota. And Painter says, I'm probably going to go to Purdue unless one of the two of us gets the phone call about Jay Edwards' scholarship. And they say to each other, yeah, I mean, you got to take it if it's you, and you got to take it, if, and I'll take it if it's me. And the phone call comes to Todd Leary. So Leary 
goes to Indiana, Matt Painter goes to Purdue, and Painter is now the head basketball coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. Life's about timing. For Indiana fans that are longing for stability at the head coaching position and having a team that is predominantly like Indiana kids, etc., maybe things go different if that phone call goes to Painter and not to Todd Leary. But life's about timing. Indiana fans right now, I think, know that Mike Woodson probably has another year in him. And Woodson, if he has another year in him, then that's about timing. And Indiana fans already have, whether they admit it at cocktail parties or not, you people who are fans, that sentence came off the wrong way, but but folks that are listening to me that are fans of Indiana basketball, which includes a lot of my friends and obviously former classmates, deep down, even though you like Mike Woodson because he's an Indiana guy and et cetera, deep down you were like, yeah, I mean, Woodson, though, you know, things just have kind of plateaued and Dusty May is right there. They got to get Dusty May. He's at Florida Atlantic. He went to the Final Four. He was a manager at Indiana. That's the guy. That's the guy. Whether or not Dusty May would be willing to do that, I don't know. Whether or not he'd be a legit candidate and they decide to go completely elsewhere, I don't know. But Indiana fans have circled Dusty May as one of their primary hopes. They've moved on from Brad Stevens, right? And now they're like, Dusty May's the guy. That's the savior. That's the guy in Dusty we trust. But life's about timing. And how much of a kick is it going to be to Indiana fans if Ohio State makes a phone call to Boca Raton? Because Ohio State's a job you got to look at, right? Million, million, million dollar budget, historic program, better basketball program than it's given credit. And there, now it's odd to say this with Chris Holtman getting fired, but it is also a job that unless the bottom totally falls out for you, you have the ability to coach kind of off the radar to an extent. I mean, that sounds weird, but football is such a big deal there that if you go to the tournament, make a sweet 16 every couple of years at Ohio State, you probably get a longer leash than you do at other places. But for Chris Holtman this year, the bottom kind of fell out. I don't follow Ohio State on a week-to-week basis, but they obviously have not played well. But if you want to know how, when you work in local news, for example, you always have to, quote, localize the story. Make the story the local connection. It's why when you see, like, there's some story in California about some sort of natural disaster and it's like we found a man in johnson county whose aunt once married a guy that lived in the county that was you know etc they always want to localize it localizing that story jimmy cook for ohio state looking for a head coach possibly not probably but possibly has implications in terms of the people that listen to this show and are fans of teams we cover yeah it could for the reasons you outlined because dusty may is always going to be an attractive name as long as he is still at the mid-major level and a higher conference team is interested in him. You outlined it pretty efficiently in terms of Indiana and a natural connection being made there. In the case of Chris Holtman, Ohio State, I think, views itself as other top teams do in the Big Ten as they have a simple request. They want to make the, they want to make the NCAA tournament every year, and they like to make a little noise while they're there. And you mentioned there's rich history there, too. Maybe even make a run to a Final Four someday again. They'd like to return to that era. Chris Holtman during his time there, 5 seed, lost in the second round. 11 seed, lost in the second round. 
no NCAA tournament appearance. Two seed lost in the first round. Seven seed lost in the second round. No NCAA tournament appearance. This season, no NCAA tournament appearance was the trajectory they were on. And I wonder, this is not the right way to think. To be clear, if I was Ohio State, I would give Dusty May a call at the end of the season. But I wonder if Ohio State has PTSD of going to, even though the Big East has established itself as a power in college basketball. There are real names in that conference. But I wonder if they look at Holtman's trajectory of Gardner-Webb to Butler, where he was a very, very good coach. A very good coach at Butler. To the point that he had the natural ascension that happens sometimes at programs like that. Even though the thought was when Butler went to the Big East, this might not happen anymore. Because now you're in a legitimate conference. No disrespect to the Horizon League. I like Horizon League basketball, but it's a mid-major conference. It's not the same. And then it happens again with Holtman. And the question becomes for Butler... How do you retain coaches? And that's a conversation for another day. What Thad Mata's doing there, despite the loss to Marquette, which we knew was a plausible one for them last night, and they hung around, that's off to the side. In regards to Ohio State, would you have buyer's remorse from what you just went through with Chris Holtman and think to yourself, I don't want somebody that's established himself at the mid-major level, or maybe if the Big Ten and Ohio State are high and mighty at a lower level of Big East play, I want a big-name that can reset things fully here and not have us go through a rebuild. And by reset, I mean reset the expectations and bring Ohio State back to being a consistent NCAA tournament team that is making noise. They were able to do half of that, right? They had a couple stints where they'd go back-to-back years, then they missed the tournament. And now you're looking at two straight years without making the big dance. You should be able to do that at Ohio State with that budget, with that money. So that makes me give pause to the thought of, is Dusty May in Ohio State's mind the right hire? For you and me, for Eddie, I'd take a swing there. I'd love to bring Dusty May into my program and give him a chance to build with more resources. But are they having hesitation with that when they go through their hiring process because of they kind of did the same thing with Holtman to some extent, even though he did not do what May did, which is take a team with far less resources to a Final Four? Look, Chris Beard, obviously, of Ole Miss. I mean, several people texted me. I... I know that he has connection because he was an assistant at Texas Tech under Knight and runs just a heck of a program. I, I, I mean, the way they played at Texas Tech and now, you know, the, the year they're having at Ole Miss, he had a pretty ugly incident that took place at Texas. And I, I realized the charges were dropped because his fiance decided not to prosecute. And so they said they couldn't get a conviction, but he was initially charged with third degree felony charges of domestic abuse. Um, but, you know, there's no conviction there, so I get it, right? He would absolutely be in the mix, I'm sure. I, I mean, Indiana, I think, is at the point now where it's like Indiana's been higher, high and mighty for a long time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'll put it to you that way. Um, so he would absolutely be in the mix. But I'm just saying, I think Dusty May would probably get interest from Ohio State. That That's simply the way that I would say it. Now, And he's earned that. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. But let's go back to Indiana State. You were commenting – on and I know that the Sycamores probably have are on more thin ice than people believe when it comes to securing for themselves an at-large if they don't win the Missouri Valley Conference. That's the thing that you're looking at, right, is if they don't win the Missouri Valley Conference, you want to make sure that they are good to go. Jimmy, you believe that last night's loss could be a, a major obstacle for them in that regard. 
tinfoil hat music, please, Edward Garrison. Ever since my childhood, I've always been of the thought, and this isn't a real, real hot take conspiracy, because I think people that are fans of mid-major teams will tell you this. It's not real hot, then why are we using the tinfoil hat? Because tinfoil hat's still being worn, it's just not as tight as previous takes. I'm just giving a little preface to the audience. That's important. I want continuity. I want the audience to know where the take's coming from. I think people will tell you this. The committee, it feels like, favors the power conferences more often than not when you're at the bubble line. And if you think I'm crazy, why does Syracuse get in almost every year? How many times have we seen a near 500 Syracuse team squeak in as a play-in team when maybe there was a mid-major from the Missouri Valley or the WAC that had a better case? Because it's a power school, it's a brand name, and the tournament will give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I get it that Jim Beheim carried a lot of weight behind that, but the point is, that's happened before. And if you're a mid-major team, you do not want to give the committee reasons to not award you an at-large bid. When you look at many metrics that measure good teams, and I'm talking, I'll keep you out of the weeds because I know we get into JMV gives me a hard time about this nerdy territory when it comes to building brackets and figuring out who's going to make the tournament or not. But by a lot of metrics, Indiana State is a top 30 team in the country. They were ranked 20th in a lot of the important metrics prior to the game last night against Illinois State, who is currently ranked, I don't know where they were before, let's check this, they are 192nd out of like 304 teams, 340 teams in all of college basketball. They were 215 last night, they're now 192 after that win. So again, a bad loss, especially at home, in every metric that matters. Indiana State was 20th last night in most rankings, they're now 28th. It's not a death kneel, it's not a death sentence for them, but when we talk about margin for error and the pressure that's on mid-major teams, to win your conference tournament so that you don't have to worry about the bubble. If you miss out on winning your conference tournament, now you're at the mercy of the selection committee. And sometimes bad losses, especially quad four losses, one, two, three, four, that's the rankings. A quad four loss, especially at home, is the worst thing that can happen to a team that is trying to get an at-large bid, especially at the mid-major level, because there's not areas to put makeup on that loss. Okay, But that said... It's the only one of those they've had all year. They're perfect in quad three. They're perfect in quad two. They're nine and one in quad four. I'm not saying it's a death sentence, but it's cause for concern of where do the mock brackets, Jake, go from here on out between now and the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament because it very well could be that it winds up coming down to how they do in the MoVal, in the Conference Tournament. Jimmy, last year, this time a year ago, I was taking algebra, college algebra. It's awful. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was awful. Thank you to Mrs. Means, my fabulous tutor. But when I took algebra, you were allowed to drop one of your lowest grades. You took 11 quizzes, and the the average of the 10 quizzes became your quiz grade. You were allowed one slip-up. In college basketball, when you are looking at mid-majors, I'm not talking about Indiana or Purdue or Notre Dame or Butler, but when you are a mid-major, I think even then you are allowed to slip up. And the reason being, because conference play is hard. Conference play, I know it was at home, but conference play is hard because you're playing against guys that are familiar with you. And I know Indiana State's got a, a revamped roster and whatever else, but 
they're ju- it's just different than going outside your conference. But at the mid-major level, whether you're talking about St. Mary's in the Big West or you're talking about Indiana State in the MoVal or you're talking about, you know, somebody that's in the horizon, okay? you know, Butler I, went through that for years, man. Like did. My childhood would be you can't lose to Cleveland State at home because but, no one understands how tough conference okay, play is. To your but, point. But what I'm saying is this. When you play in a mid-major, the committee is aware of the fact that that handicaps you immediately because you only have, based on your conference schedule, one or two opportunities for an upper quad win, but you are playing with quad four fire on a regular basis. Yeah. And every once in a while, you're going to have an off night. You're going to have a night where a guy didn't shoot well. You're going to have a night where a guy had his girlfriend broke up with him the night before. You're going to have a night where somebody pulled the fire alarm in the hotel on the road, whatever. So you're allowed a slip up. And the reason is because of the fact that you have more opportunity, you have more games against lower quad players, lower quad teams when you're in a mid-major than you do the upper echelon. So therefore, the law of averages says – that you're going to have more quad four potential losses than than the than than you have potential wins over a quad one, for example. Right. So yes, it does not help. You would love for them to have maintained a ranking, the national conversation, right there in that nine ten line going into the Missouri Valley and to Arch Madness and getting an opportunity to cement themselves. I get that. It does not help, but I don't know how much it really truly hurts them. Now it turns up the notches a bit. One it, it makes everything here out more important. Because on the road, and we were talking with John about this yesterday, SIU is a tough place to play. And the Salukis are of Southern Illinois are a quad two team. That would be a good win to add to your resume. It's the last one they have before a meeting with Drake or somebody like that in the Missouri Valley final if they make it all the way there. After the quad two against Southern Illinois three days from now, they go on the road at Valpo, 288 ranking of college basketball, what are 340 schools, quad four. At home against UIC, 179th in the country, quad four. On the road at Evansville, 176th in the country, quad three. At home against Murray State, quad three, 140th in the country. There aren't opportunities left other than SIU. So I, I think you and I are in agreement. This is not a death sentence to them. They deserve a get-out-of-jail-free card for one bad loss the fear now, though, is how do you close these final five games of the season? Because you mentioned it. There's landmines of quad three and quad four the rest of the way. And if you stub your toe, you're really putting your hands in the committee, which is something you never want to do unless you get your own get out of jail free card, which is you win the MoVal and then all this is irrelevant. Yeah, I, I just I'm with you, though. It's not it's, it ramps it up a little bit, yeah. right? It, I mean, again, you stub your toe once. You better put some bandages on it, right? Uh, when we come back, it is All-Star Week in Indianapolis. It is only the second time that the NBA All-Star Game has taken place in our fair city. The only other time, the first time, probably everybody stayed at the Hyatt, went to Union Station, maybe enjoyed a little dinner at the uh, Claypool Court. I'm not sure. But the guy that was the most valuable player in that game and a guy that was almost a pacer joins us next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Some of the great sounds of the mid-80s, this song was the number one song in the land the last time the NBA All-Star Game was in Indianapolis. The guy that you just heard hitting that shot that sent the Houston Rockets into the 1986 NBA Finals, in my opinion, the most underappreciated, ridiculously impossible shot in the NBA of the 80s. And the most valuable player in that game at the Hoosier Dome joins us now on the program, Ralph Sampson, the former Houston Rocket, and of course, Virginia All-American joining us on the program. Ralph, it is a pleasure. How are you? Hey, the pleasure is all mine. You you, you, you you called me and we got on today. And I'm, thank you for doing all that. But you brought back great memories of being in Indiana. I can remember coming through the airport on um, that pre-game and they showed the shot with the Lakers. So good memories for me and uh, thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? Let's begin by, and I'm thrilled you're here uh, talking with us. Let, let's begin with this, and we'll get to the coin flip in a second. But the All-Star Game itself in 1985, it was such a big deal for the city, Ralph, because you know you had 24 points in that game, uh, 10 boards. You were the most valuable player. It was a star-studded affair, obviously, but I mean just from a legendary standpoint. What are your memories of being in the city and maybe the hub or lack thereof in 1985 versus what we're going to see this year with the All-Star Game in Indy? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, so I think Magic, I had 24 points. Magic probably had eight assists because all he had to do was run, and he made those great passes. So I, I give him kudos all the time. He gives up like a, a 25% of that trophy. So anyway, it was a great game, and we enjoyed it. But um, I mean, Indianapolis, I think, and, and I, hope it, I don't know if they had an All-Star Game prior to 85, but uh, or after 85, what it may be. But the city, to me, is a great venue for any sport event. you got everything downtown, which is the first time I was there. Everything you can walk to, that you can go to, restaurants, to the arenas. It's right downtown, so it's a perfect place. My son played at the University of Minnesota. They had the big tournament there, and we'd go there. But it was a perfect place for that. I've been there for NCAA tournaments as well. So it's one of my favorite places to come for sporting events because everything is right nestled downtown. And there's no other city, I think, like that, that you can walk, have great hotels, and have great food. So I think Indy is one of those special places, for sure. You know, when you go back to Indy at that time, you know, and now, obviously, and downtown has been so built, Ralph, as you know, having come to Big Ten tournaments and, you know, played playing here in games for years, sports was such a, an important part of the birth and the growth of Indianapolis. You were nearly a big part of that. And I remember, I I just told the story, being in elementary school, and they came over the loudspeakers at school to play the live radio call of the coin flip, and all of us at Allisonville Elementary School are sitting there in Virginia shirts, and we're thrilled, right? Oh my gosh, we're going to get Ralph Sampson. What's your memory of nearly becoming a Pacer? Did you have any conversations with the Pacers prior to that draft? Yeah, I'm sure my agent did. At that point in time, we, we, we did talk about it. Um, you know, and I was able to come out of high school to the NBA, 
but also, you know, I did and I stayed. And then my 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 freshman year, I would they would come out as well. I'd have been a number one pick, probably. They say, but Kevin McHale wouldn't have gone to the Boston Celtics, right? It'd have been a whole different ball game. The next year, Isaiah Thomas might not have gone to Detroit Prisons. The third year, I probably should have came up, but um, uh, James Worthy might not have gone to the Lakers. So I could have changed the game dramatically <laughs> across the board if I came out of school. But you know. And then, you know, I, and I couldn't depend on the coin flip, um, you know, and, and knowing anybody like I do now, whatever is probably the best thing I did was stay because then I came out in the right spot at the right time. But I didn't mind. I would, I would have loved to come there and play with the Pacers and the team they had at that point in time. And the Rockets were still on the up, upswing. Uh, they had, you know, Elvin Hayes, Caldwell Jones, a lot of older players that were getting ready to retire. So I knew going there with me and Ryan McCray, you know, my senior year that we, we were going to make a change. But coming out early, you know, I don't think that those teams would have been there. But, you know, I think we did with a great team in the NBA that uh, got to Indianapolis. And, you know, so rest is history. But the city is great. You know, now I know kind of all is there. I didn't know all that beforehand, before the conflict coming out of college. But as I look back, it would have been one of those cities that I probably would have been really good at and living and enjoying life there and playing, you know, playing at a high level. So it is a great, great spot for me. The Hall of Famer and MVP of the last All-Star Game here in Indiana, 1985, Ralph Sampson is our guest. Ralph, you are viewed by many, myself included, as one of the greatest bigs of all time. In today's NBA, that position has changed so much where outside shooting becomes a part of it and the three-point line is involved in it. And previous players in the past will say, and I view this too, you put any player from any generation that was great, you plop them in any era they're still going to be great. For you, if you were coming up in the mid-2000s, let's say, where all of a sudden they're asking bigs to be stretch fives and space the floor, would you have adapted your game, do you think, to include perimeter action, or would you have made the game adapt to you being as dominant as you were in the low post? No, no, the game, I mean, they would, I mean, think about it. I mean, Bill Fitch was our coach. They would not let us shoot any threes. I don't know how many threes I shot in my career, but they would not let us shoot threes at all. If you shot one, like you know, you, 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 you're, you're a post-up player, you need to get underneath the basket because she's seven foot four, and you should be close to the basket to get all the rebounds. That didn't make sense at that point in time, right? But that's the way the game was. And back then, to me, with the art of the game, today's game doesn't have much art in it. You just shoot a three, and you yeah, you work on percentages. And I mean, you got guys shooting three days, you know, from half court. I mean, I don't know how great. That is for basketball, but it is what it is, right? It's entertainment. And so, for me, I think I could have played today, for sure. I would love to play today. With the skills over that I had, I think a lot of players could have played today. I mean, I'll look at a couple of Jokic out of Denver. I think Bill Lambeer would have been great today, but he'd been slow with foot like he was. He couldn't jump high, but he never was in the post-up. He, he, he shot jump shots, three forty all the time, right? And that's the way they played. So, certain guys, I think, would have turned in it nicely in today's game. But I do think that the, you know, the big guys coming back a little bit every year. You get big, and the game is changing. So even uh, I take the guy, the big guy at, at Purdue, right? He, he's seven foot tall. He maybe played the again this year, uh, but he's like a Mark Eaton, a better Mark Eaton to me, right? Uh, he's big, like Mark Eaton. He plays similar to Mark Eaton, so there's similarities between him and say they said similarities between me and Wimby. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him one day and kind of see what he is and watch him play, watch him on TV. 
But, you know, we played, we ran, we jumped. And I was able to do that in high school. And uh, thank God my high school coach, Roger Brady, is still with us. And Coach Terry Holland that just passed it last year. They let me, you know, be me. And, you know, they try to control it a little bit so I can perfect it. But they made me practice and practice every day if I wanted to throw the ball to court. And my high school coach started that. Ralph Sampson, there's so many connections, actually, for you that you may not even be aware in terms of just basketball in the state of Indiana. For example, I want to touch on what you just mentioned in Zach Eady. Zach Eady at Purdue has the opportunity, and I think at this point probably we can say uh, will become the first two-time winner of the Wooden Award, joining only Ralph Sampson in that category. The first since you did it and the only to do it since you. Um, what is your thought on having somebody match that record and that feat? I mean, you know, sometimes you think about it in, in, in today's game, especially in college, you would not think that that would be done. NIL and transfer portal and all the stuff going on. But, I mean, I, I, I love the way, you know, uh, Purdue and the coach have put him together and around. And he, he's a big presence. And he, he, he's in the low post again, right? So seeing a low post player do that is great because you're not normally going to see a low post player win National Player of the Year, right? Especially twice. And so I appreciate him, and I appreciate what they do to bring that big man to life. But you've got to figure out also how to play at that next level in the low post or transition again. And, and here, here lies the problem with that for me as well. Analytics has changed the game, which we all know. Most of the analytics that are produced at any NBA team are done by Harvard graduates or people like that that said you should – post up here or you should shoot from here or you should play different from there. But they don't tell you the guy's 7'4 and he will block a shot. They don't tell you all that, right? They know that makes it to me. So you look at all that and you say, what's the game going to be like when Edie and any other big guy gets to the to, to the league? They're going to be game changers because you're going to have to defend him in the post at some point. I don't care who you are. And and, and the players that are, are, are on the teams are not going to be able to defend that, all right? So it'll go back to that when you start getting and develop more players that are low post players, because that's going to win you games. And when you need a basket or two, it's not going to be the three point shot. It's going to be the low post big man turn around doing a jump hook or sky hook or whatever it may be close to the basket that's going to get you up two when you need two points. And and, and some coaches was like the number coach. Somebody's going to figure that out, and 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 it's going to change the game up a little bit like it always has. And it won't go back to the way it was, but it'll have some flavor to the way it was. I think one of the things, Ralph Sampson, our guest, Ralph, you were on the, the cover of Sports Illustrated. You were ubiquitous on that cover from the late 70s and early 80s. I think you were on the cover six times in the span of like 18 months. You know, you, you went to a Final Four with Virginia in 81 where Indiana was in Philly. Um, and, and during that time, one of the things that was so unusual and that, that made you so unique was your fluidity, your ability to run the floor, your ability to to do things aside from just being a low block guy. When you look at Webamyama, who kind of has that similar feel coming in, are there areas to his game that you would talk to him about in terms of preservation of body, ligaments, knees, avoiding some of the injuries that might have hurt you later in your career based on the fluidity and the range that you had at your size? Yeah, so when I get a chance, to talk to him, I'm definitely going to talk about that because he's very fluid. When I see videos I've been working out, he does a lot of yoga moves and a lot of stretching, which is going to be crucial. You know, I was the first guy in NBA that brought 
weights in a weight in a locker room in, a, in any NBA arena. And a guy named Robert Ward, God bless him, he's a good friend of mine. So I go to Houston because I was a big weightlifter in college because, you know, you're too thin, you need to gain weight, you need to put on muscle. That was a thought, right? So between my first and second year, I put on, put on about 15, 16 pounds of solid muscle, and then we go to the Final Four my second year. But into the NBA, they didn't have that. They didn't have new traits. They don't have the stuff they had today, right? So preservation of body is going to be good for them because they have all the technology. So think about San Antonio has, what, a $500 million practice uh, facility and all the bells and whistles around it. So he's going to get the best treatment. They got the best food. They fly on, uh, uh, on private planes. So it's a totally different era as far as injury is concerned. But preservation of his body from that height is going to be crucial because uh, you look at MB, right? They just hurt his knee. And he's a big boy, right? And he plays, he's been playing hard. He could be MVP of the league this year, but he tore his meniscus. And then that stands the severity of the meniscus. I tore my meniscus, and that's what happened to me. If you tear it, you try to scrape it, take it out. That's a part of the body that's like a brake pad on your knees. And you go, he's going to keep chopping at him, chopping at him, chopping at him. Then his other knee is going to fail. I know they got better training staff these days, but it's just real. So Wimby, for me, is need to protect his body. He, it's, 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 it's the right thing that he's with Greg Pavlich and that crew. So NBA is smart, right? Let's, let's get it really straight. They're smart in what, how they position this stuff. And, and, and Popovich, you know, new contract, five more years, the highest paid coach in the league, it's going to take very good care. And, and they'll take good care of him. He just got to be very cognizant of not wanting to play every night if he's tired or hurt himself. And that's what they did with NB, uh, uh, right? In the first couple of years, they didn't play him a whole lot because he wasn't ready. Uh, and Wimby will do the same thing. He's going to want to play. He's the highlight of the league right now, of the world. And he's he going to want to play, but his body and mentally is not quite ready to NBA grind of 82 games. And then you got all-star break, and you got to go there, and you're going to lose a lot of games before you win a lot of games. And he'll learn a lot through that, but taking care of his body is going to be very crucial. I would tell everybody out there, I don't know what LeBron James is doing totally. I, I know some of the things. But if you can follow what he does, but he's got a freakish body, you should emulate that as much as you can because he's one of the best people with 20 years, 21 years in the league that's taking care of his body. It makes sense. And then the last thing I would say is you look at the big man, like you look at Kareem, you look at Robert Paris, myself, uh, all the big guys that I know, the, the tie to that and their health strength is yoga. Kareem taught me that early on in my career. I should have done it more, but he was doing it daily. I didn't have that in Houston. I just go to California and do it out there with him a couple of times. But the stretching is very crucial in those ligaments because he's so tall. And then he's got to guard guards. And that's where I think some of the things you have to understand. Don't worry about those guards. Guard them out in, 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 in the curve. They shoot a three, they shoot a three. Sit, sit, sit back off of them, try to block the shot. And then when they go to basketball, you block the shot. Because you can't twist and turn like the little guard can because your ligaments and tendons are so long that it puts a lot of stress on your legs. So a lot of things you could teach from that. You know, they got David Robinson and, and, and Tim Duncan down. I'm sure they tell them to help him a lot, but, you know, hopefully they can teach him, you know, some things as well, which I'm sure they will. But you just got to protect his body at all costs. Ralph, lastly, that 1985 All-Star game, Ralph Sampson is our guest. That's the All-Star game. You were the MVP. I know you were on the West and not the East, but the long-standing almost 40-year story of that game was that that was the game where allegedly Michael Jordan was frozen out by Isaiah Thomas and the members of the East that didn't want the young buck. Uh, right. Did you witness any of that? 
you know, I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, again, we were obviously a team. I've heard it after the game, and I, and I haven't even gone back and looked at the whole that. But you heard the whipping went out there. Michael has been historical over the years. To me, that's, that's a competitive spirit no matter what. And it stays till this day, I'm sure, to some extent. But, you know, you squash all that because I like the competitive nature of everybody, right? And, and we all have one. And you want to win. And then Detroit and Chicago, they would battle each other all day long. So it stayed in the All-Star game probably. It stayed in the locker room. Who knows how, how long it went under the scenes. But I never saw it live, and I didn't really pay attention to it because I was more worried about our team and what we were doing and beating the Lakers and everything else before I would worry about somebody else's team. Now, lastly, Ralph, if you come for the All-Star game this weekend and Jerry Seasting's here, do you have to buy him dinner, or how does that work out? Uh, yeah, no doubt. Between Danny Ainge and him, I may have to buy him dinner. <laughs> so I think it's probably dinner because they, they started it. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was rolling in that game because I had to say, okay, great. If y'all going to win, you can't win on our home court. I mean, they won the series, okay, great. But you're not going to win in Houston. And so I was prepared to play and ready to play. And if you watch that video, they were coming off picks. I was sitting picks down where they come off, and they would hit me in crazy spots, as you know. And so I got frustrated after about the third time. And things just escalated. And uh, we had to go to blows. I got kicked out. We won. But remember, we Kim got kicked out in that game that I went, got the shot with the Lakers, and we had an argument there with Marvis Lucas and the crew. So we were a feisty bunch. We were ready to play. <laughs> we, we hung together, and we we didn't take we didn't take anything lightly. So you know we we were good. Basketball in the eighties, man, I love it. And Jerry Jerry Seasting will meet you at Elmo and buy you your shrimp cocktail. Ralph, how's that to make up for it? Um, well, I, 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 I'm allergic to Jerry I'm allergic to shrimp. So, <laughs> so, so but we, I'll take a, I'll take a steak. I'll take a steak. <laughs> All right, Ralph. Listen, um, I appreciate it, man. It's a it's a thrill to talk to you, and you are certainly a part of Indiana basketball lore with the. Uh, most valuable player award back in 85, the coin flip and all of it, but one of the great names in basketball. And certainly appreciate the time today. Enjoy the All-Star Game weekend. Thank you, God, for having me. And uh, we'll have it again when it's over. Anytime, let me know. But you guys enjoy as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ralph Sampson, the 1985 NBA Most Valuable Player. Coming up top of the hour, Adrian Wojnarowski joins us. By the way, if you're just – uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, in the 86 NBA Finals, Jerry Seasting was with the Celtics, and as you heard Ralph Sampson mention there, they got into a little skirmish, shall we say. Ralph landed a punch and a one-game suspension. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm just curious, guys. We have a desk here, right? Yes. What I need you to do is go ahead and get out of your seat. Jimmy, I need you to get Eddie as well. Get down on your knees. Crouch under the desk and put your your hands down over your head while putting your head down underneath the desk. Okay. This is what we had to do when I was in elementary school whenever for to practice for a bomb shelter. In case there was a bomb coming, <laughs> which there is for us, and we called a Woj bomb because Adrian Wojnarowski's next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So it appears as though, by the way, Adrian Wojnarowski is going to join us shortly. He has an event coming up tomorrow night at the Vogue. It gets underway at 8 o'clock, the Woj podcast, uh, live with Tyrese Halliburton. And things get underway at 8 o'clock. Grant Hill going to be there as well. You can attend at the Vogue. It is 21 and over. It is uh, $50 per ticket to go see the Woj podcast live with Tyrese Halliburton and Adrian Wojnarowski, who, when it comes to essentially NBA news, needs no introduction. It goes without saying. Um, and so basically, I will just say that what we just said serves as exactly that, the introduction for Adrian Wojnarowski, who joins us now and will be at the Vogue tomorrow night. Adrian, first and foremost, uh, have you been to the Vogue, Vogue before? Because it's a cool as hell establishment. You know, hey, guys, first of all, thanks for having me on. I have not been there. I've seen photos of it and talked to folks who think, especially some people who've lived in Indiana, who've moved on, who hit me uh, when they saw that we were doing the pod uh, live podcast there. We're just really excited about that as a venue for this. So Tyrese Halliburton, Grand Hill, it's, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I love, I've, I love big events in Indiana. I've been the final fours there. I think all-star weekend will be awesome there. And uh, I, I think that's going to be a great venue uh, for people to, you know, get, get pretty up and close with, with, uh, you know, really one of the big stories of this NBA season. And obviously, you know, the story uh, for the Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton and, and, of course, Grant Hill, too. So let's go back to how this all came about, Adrian, because, as you mentioned, Tyrese Halliburton has had a meteoric rise here in terms of becoming in the national forefront for players. Obviously, the All-Star game being here facilitated that, but how did you put it together to get Tyrese Halliburton, and do you believe, in fact, that he is the kind of personality, not just good for a podcast, but one that can get players to come to Indiana. He's already done it. I mean, I, uh, uh, Pascal Siakam, a big part of why he was so open to the trade to Indiana, why he's so open to the idea of re-signing with the Pacers, was to play with Tyrese Halliburton. And um, I hear it all over the league. I hear it from players. I hear it from their agents. Uh, you can't get them all. You know, it's, it's like you can – Guy can want to play with you, but there's constraints, right? It's not AAU basketball. You can't just, hey, I'm going to start playing for those guys next weekend. But I think it's a player like Pascal Siakam. And then, the you know, as you build the pieces around them, the young players developing in Indiana, and then as you add guys, um, who he is, how he plays, how he leads um, is inviting for players. And it's a huge reason why, Indiana's where it's at now and why they can keep building this team because um, he makes it easy for everybody. Uh, he's easy to play with. He's easy to be around. And uh, there's an, a, there's a magnetism to Tyrese Halliburton that, you know, you don't have to be a player or his coach or his general manager or president to see it. You're a fan. You, you, everybody sees it and, and you know it when you see it. And so I think, I think for, Halliburton for the Pacers, um, you know, listen, it's not an accident Pascal Siakam ended up in Indiana, that his, that the confidence the organization had that they could trade for him, and this is a player who wanted to be there and wanted to resign was huge because you wouldn't give up 
you know, in a, in a market like Indiana, where typically it is not easy to, uh, number one, it's not easy to attract big free agents. Number two, there are very few big free agents who go into free agency anymore. Most of this stuff is done by trade. And so if you're going to give up what they gave up for Siakam, you want to have some confidence, you can keep the guy. And and they have that confidence, and a big part of that is, is Halliburton, though. Adrian Wojnarowski is our guest. Woj, for you, what is more satisfying in your news-breaking landscape? Because we all have your notifications turned on for a reason. Is it free agency? Is it the trade deadline? Is it the draft? Or do you get the most excitement on breaking news? <laughs> it's the next one. I know it's <laughs> it's the next one. I, I, I really look at it. Like, my excitement is in the next one, whichever one is coming next. I don't weigh them they all have different levels of gravity there's no question but um i just try to keep focused on what's coming next and it comes pretty fast in this league from trade deadline to end of the season Uh, you know there's news around obviously coaching cycle into the draft free agency i think this is going to be a really i think around this draft around this free agency it's not a great free. It's probably not going to be a great free agency class, which means you're going to have a lot of trades, and I think you'll have a lot of pick, a lot of trades, uh, picks on the board of players moving around. Uh, you're just seeing fewer and fewer big name players go into free agency. I think the sense is, I will take the money now. I will fix the destination later, right? Because you can make, you can you can get paid at a higher level by re-signing, and then you can ask for a trade or you'll get traded, and so you're seeing fewer and fewer high level players really go into free agency. That doesn't mean you don't have them, but it's not quite what it was. And so you better be ready um, and preparing at all times for, you know, just the calendar of news that just, just keeps coming at you. Adrian Wojnarowski is our guest. Again, the Woj pod live is going to be tomorrow night at the Vogue. Everything gets underway at eight o'clock doors open at seven Tickets are available at Vogue.com. Again, it is a 21 and over event because it's a nightclub, but it's, uh, I think most people in Indy know, one of the best in town, the Vogue. A lot of great memories at the Vogue. And you can create your own tomorrow night, just $50 a ticket, $7, uh, 7 o'clock, excuse me, the doors open, 8 o'clock, everything gets underway. Tyrese Halliburton, Woj, and Grant Hill. Adrian, when you talk about Pascal Siakam, let's say for the sake of the conversation that in fact... Indiana is able to extend him. Do you think that the Pacers then go out and via trade or whatever it may be are still looking for kind of that third running mate to go with that tandem? Or do you think Indiana feels they may have it with their younger pieces that just simply need to blossom a la Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nimhard combination thereof? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I, I like This is a salary cap especially in smaller markets where you're not seeing, you're not going to see teams up in the second apron in small markets um, that you can pay two max players. You can have two stars and, you know, miles Turner is significant on significant player borderline all-star this year. You could have made a case for him as one of the all-star reserves um, or somebody who could have been a replacement. Uh, But yeah, I think if you're the Pacers, you want to see it with Ben Mather and you want to see the growth of those young players there's not really a world where you're going out and tr- getting a third star. You just can't build a roster and a payroll around that in this new age. And so 
that was the league's goal when they negotiated the CBA. They wanted that second apron, which essentially makes it so prohibitive to be up in that second tier of luxury tax because they wanted to spread the players around the league. So instead of Pascal Siakam, instead of the Warriors or the Clippers or the Lakers going, hey, we're a big market team, we don't care how much luxury tax we have to pay. We can, we can bring on or keep that third star or that fourth star. You can't really do that anymore. And so that only creates more momentum for players like an all-star level player like Pascal Siakam to, to land in one of those non-glamour markets. And players are going to see with cap space, if they want to get paid at the highest level, if they want a max deal, it's may not, it may not be in the, let, let's say the five or six really big markets. You're probably going to have to go to a smaller market to get it. And they will, they will. And so, um, so I think it's good for parity. It's good for smaller markets like Indiana. And I think there's a core there for the Pacers that you've seen that they can keep a group together here. They can build around it. And um, I'll tell you what, I know one team up the road in Milwaukee that does not want to see them in the first round of the playoffs, right? Yeah, like, they've had their number, right? Yeah, like they don't, they don't want to see the Pacers. Um, and so uh, they're not going to be an easy out in this postseason. Uh, they played Boston really tough. They played, you know, they've, they've been terrific. And I think Rick Carlisle, we talk about coach of the year candidates. Rick Carlisle should be in that conversation. I think he has transformed this organization. And, you know, obviously bringing in Halliburton was a huge part of that. Um, and this team will get better defensively. Siakam helps them become better defensively. Um, this isn't, Rick Carlisle, this isn't the Rick Carlisle basketball that, you know, you, you think of through the years, but what Rick has done is adjust with the talent he had, see that he could play faster and at a speed with Halliburton um, that gave them a pathway to win. And he's got, you know, a historically good offense and a defense that they know that needs to get better. Siakam helps them do that. Young players tend to defend a little better as they go along in their career, and there's certainly some play, you know, some pieces around the edges you can bring in over time that that will help them on that end of the floor. Adrian, did you ever watch Adrian Wojnarowski? Is our guest? It probably would have been when you were at St. Bonaventure, maybe shortly thereafter. But like when The Sixth Sense came out, or any of those movies by M. Night Shyamalan, when he had like that run of of movies. Did you ever get into any of those? I never. I've never seen any of that. Oh wow! My, okay, my movie history is limited. I'm the guy who watches the same movie 50 times instead of watching a new one. I don't, I don't know what no, you've seen about me. Okay, hold on. You've seen Shawshank <laughs> yeah. Redemption, correct? Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. these guys have not. But here's the point I'm making. That guy, in the, that director in all of his movies, at the end of them, they have this like surprise ending, and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I not see that coming? Okay? Over the course of the movie, nobody ever thought the surprise ending would be that Paul George could end up back in Indiana. Now, is that simply <laughs> Hollywood script, or is that an actual movie that could play out before our very eyes? <clears throat> I think that because of the success they're having in L.A., and that Paul George, they have been waiting through lots of injuries, lots of frustration, to have the kind of season that they're having with the Clippers, that I think he's motivated to get a deal done. The Clippers are motivated to get a deal done. They have not gotten a deal done. And certainly the longer it goes, like there's a chance I listen, if we are in, if Paul George makes it somehow into July, 
yeah, like then it's then you'd go, okay, like it becomes more real. We can we can look at the teams who have cap space and who would be teams where you could win or make the case for. Philly's one of them. Indiana's one of them. Uh, Orlando could have cap space. I don't know if that's the direction they want to go, but, but that's a really good team. Uh, you know, like if you want to make the case for it. But I think that Paul George wants to be where he is. The Clippers certainly want to keep him. But these are negotiations, and so they have time, and they'll negotiate. But I think it's more of a product of this new – we talked about it – this new cap where if you're going to just max out your 30-something-year-old veterans, um, you know, they have to re-sign James Harden. Like, it is hard to put a roster around them. And so you saw Kawhi Leonard take less than the max – it sure seems like they would like Paul George to do that. And so it's a negotiation. Where's the number they can all land on? Uh, But again, if this thing drags out and there's no deal done, then I think it's something that's not inconceivable, but I still think there is, those are two sides motivated to figure it out. Um, I would still bet that they figure it out together. NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski is our guest. Again, the Woj Pod live at the Vogue tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. You can still get your tickets at thevogue.com slash events for $50, 21 and over. Grant Hill will join him along with Pacers superstar Tyrese Halliburton. Adrian, you mentioned how the second apron has taken away that big three era that was designed by the league and the owners in, a, in large part for competitive balance and make it harder to create the the big three era super team. And with the Pacers already having a lot of money tied up next offseason, assuming they're able to retain Pascal Siakam and Miles Turner already being on the books and the rookie extension of Tyrese Halliburton kicking in, they're going to have to operate like a lot of teams, not just small market teams in the margins and get creative with how they want to add more depth in today's NBA with where the cap situation is, what matters more to today's role player, more money or good situation? I think money's number one, but I think if good situation becomes more important, deeper in your career, I think I think when players have made a lot of money and they haven't won yet, or they've won and don't want to be in bad situations, I think that, um, and it also means how much more money, right? Significantly more money or maybe just a little bit more. But I do think, though, that it's easier to stay somewhere you are when you like it and you're comfortable than to maybe chase a little bit more somewhere where there's so much uncertainty in a a different place. And so I think for good organizations – the best recruiters for any team are the players they have because they all talk and they know how different players feel about different situations. And the word is out. Like you want to play with Tyrese, right? You want to play with this group and uh, that's a good thing. And so it's good to keep the guys you have. And then as you add, you know, especially when you get in the margins and there's a player with five or six offers that are all, maybe it's the mid-level exception. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's minimum deals where everything being equal and the money's not different. I think Indiana can now make a case of like, we're going to, and the other thing too is, can they improve my value when you're scoring in numbers, when you can be in a place where you go somewhere on a one year deal, you want your value to improve. You want to be in a place where the coach gets the most out of you. That's one of Rick Carlisle's great gifts as a coach. You've seen it throughout his career. Look at all the guys who are having career years 
he did it in Dallas a lot. And, and I think that has value too, that you're not going to come to a place and he's going to figure out what you do well, maximize it. And that's, that's why he's a hall of fame coach. So I think all of those factors are helpful for the Pacers. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to benefit them as they keep trying to build this roster going forward. Senior NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski is our guest. Woj, there's two players on the Pacers that I want to ask you about that could be in different situations next year. There's a couple players that could, but two I want to focus on are Obi Toppin, who's a restricted free agent this coming offseason, and Jalen Smith, who has a player option of about 5.4. From my vantage point, if I was Jalen Smith, I'd want to opt out of that. See, maybe if I can make a little bit more money, maybe he stays with Indiana. Who knows? But let's say he opts out and Obi Toppin's a restricted free agent. They're both power forwards. They both do similar things. Maybe Obi's upside is a little different because of the way he plays and his ability as an outside shooter. When you look at those two pieces, though, a restricted free agent, Obi Toppin, and Jalen Smith hitting the open market in this scenario... Do you envision teams having any interest in them to where the Pacers could have to make a tough decision of who they want to match and who they want to re-sign? Yeah, and it only takes one team. Especially restricted free agency is tricky. Um, it's hard. Typically, restricted free agency, you have to overpay to get a guy um, because teams are just going to match so they don't lose the asset, and then they can always trade a player later. And so that's why sometimes you see these really big balloon restricted free agency offers and typically then they still get matched. Uh, but uh, yeah, Jalen Smith's interesting that the Pacers, you know, they didn't want to give him up in the Siakam trade. They were able to hold on to him. Uh, certainly both players are going to have value, whether it's in Indiana or elsewhere. Uh, but, you know, again, so there's so many factors on why a player stays or goes and there's no question money's important. And, and typically guys aren't, especially younger players, or players who say, hey, this is my best chance to get one at least one big deal, that's going to usually dictate it. But all things being equal, I think, again, this is a fun place to play. Um, you know, certainly, I think for Jalen Smith, um, you know, he's got probably a little more freedom in what he's doing because he's not restricted. He can, like you said, he's got an option. And so I, it'll be interesting. Those are all going to be the hard decisions you have to make. And teams... I think you're seeing players on shorter contracts generally and a little more turnover on NBA rosters than you used to see. It's starting to feel a little more like football with shorter deals, guys cycling in and out of free agency every year. And it's hard to have the continuity on the roster that, you know, maybe you would love to have. You're just, you're just going to have guys on shorter deals moving, moving in and out. And the good thing for the Pacers is they've drafted well, they have developed their guys. And so when you lose a veteran, and you have young guys developing who are still on cheap contracts or guys you don't have to pay extension money to for some time, you're on these controllable contracts, they call them. You know, that's how you do it because typically always you're going to overpay in free agency. If you're bringing in a player from the outside, usually you're paying a little more to get them um, than if you're just re-signing a guy keeping your own. Lastly, Adrian, I know that you've got uh, to get on television here at the top of the hour, so appreciate the time. This is the time of year. When you get done tomorrow night with the podcast that gets underway at 8 o'clock at the Vogue, doors open at 7, people can be there for just $50 to watch with you, Tyrese Halliburton, and Grant Hill. Um, when you get done with that and we go through the All-Star game and then the season resumes, and I know there's basketball between now and then, but 
that's the time of year sometimes where teams all of a sudden gel together that just weren't healthy or they're young and then comes spring you go oh wow these guys are a totally different team than they were in october november december and now there's something to be reckoned with that team this year could be who that's a good question um Cleveland's already doing it. They got healthier faster than you. Uh, they went on a run faster than you thought they would coming off of those injuries. I think Golden State is starting to hit some stride, too. I think they lost lots of close games. Draymond is back and playing really well. Uh, Clay Thompson, certainly they need him on track. But Jonathan Kaminga has been awesome. And you see the patience they had with him. And uh, obviously, Steph Curry is still Steph. I think that's a team... It's not the young team, but it's the team that I think is going to get a second wind at this. Uh, I think they're one. And, you know, you've you've seen it. You know, the the team last year that kind of did that was Miami late. They've been so beaten up and have just been had guys, uh, an amazing win last night in Milwaukee, down so many guys. You never count them out if they get their guys healthy. But, uh, again, I think – so much of the playoffs, too, is matchups, and we talked about it earlier. Uh, I don't know that Indiana wants to drop down and be the seventh seed. There's no reason that you don't want to just keep climbing the standings, but you know the Bucks don't want to see them in a 2-7 right. series. And so uh, I do think this is a Pacers team as they get healthy, get guys back, get some rest over this all-star break. Uh, they're going to be um, – you know, Tyrese is himself again. He went through – uh, the hamstring issue there for maybe about a month where it was dogging him, and now it seems like he's, you know, uh, he's back to full strength. Um, you know, the Pacers may end up being that team, and of course Pascal Siakam really settling in and and getting comfortable. Um, it, it, again, it might be right there in Indiana. The last three shows that I have seen at the Vogue are Too Short, Colin Hay, and Public Enemy, so no pressure. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I've got Tyrese Halliburton and Grant Hill to carry me, but I appreciate right. it, guys. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to see people. Indiana, there's no better basketball community uh, anywhere. And I've been at the five covered final fours there and loved it. And I used to bring my son to, we used to go out in the summer and go to Tom Crean's basketball camp. So my son was younger and, and drove, you know, have driven the state and stopped in all the towns where there were great players from. And like, I love doing that. And so I think having an all-star game there is going to be awesome. I know the community is going to rally around this. And, and I think having Tyrese Halliburton, a pacer, as a starter in this game, and, I mean, he's going to be the mayor of Indianapolis this weekend, and we're, we're lucky to have him on that pod Thursday night uh, to kind of kick the weekend off. If Grant Hill can finish the lobs that you throw to him like he did from Bobby <laughs> Hurley in the Dome in 91 to start the Final Four, you're in good shape, Woj, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, appreciate the time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate right. it. Adrian Wojnarowski joining us on the program again tomorrow night. Vogue.com is the website where you can get tickets. Doors opening at 7 o'clock and the event getting underway at 8 o'clock. Tyrese Halliburton will be there as well. Live podcast with Adrian Wojnarowski. I have the link up on our Twitter page at query underscore company. So if you are interested in going to see Tyrese Halliburton at Grand Hill, just go to our Twitter page. Ticket link is right there. Uh, there is a lot more to talk about, including last night what happened in college basketball. All-Star game, as you can tell, we're starting to shift here in the middle of the week towards that. Really good conversation earlier with Ralph Sampson. We'll get that up on the podcast page where you can uh, revisit that, including his thoughts on Jerry Seasting, Adrian Wojnarowski. 
Still to join us today, Danny Lopez from the Pacers about all the plans going on, and then Eddie Gill as the Pacers still have one to play between now and the All-Star game, that game against, of course, the Toronto Raptors. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Oh, Eddie, you're just spinning all the love hits over there now, aren't you? Well, duh. It's Valentine's Day. DJ Getty behind the board. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Stop. You still have time to stop by the grocery store and pick up that bouquet of flowers. It's like the Christmas trees I feel sorry for. They're so From Kroger, line, yeah. Right? Uh, All-Star Weekend is very quickly upon us. Obviously, the Pacers, one stop left before that. That will be against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto, but... The NBA world will focus its eyes on not only Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but Lucas Oil Stadium, as well as the Indiana Convention Center and a number of different places coming up this weekend throughout the Circle City. Joining us now, a guy that has been working tirelessly for quite some time, gallivanting around to different All-Star games. He was in Salt Lake a year ago to get ideas. The Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications for the Indiana Pacers is Danny Lopez. And he has found 10 minutes to 15 minutes to talk to us that are the only 10 to 15 minutes that he's had free in the last year. Danny, how are you? I'm doing well. That's, that is not the uh, walk-up music I was expected to get. I <laughs> yeah. I, I but was, it works. I was, uh, I was a little taken aback myself, <laughs> if you'd like to know the truth, right? Yeah, I don't know who's making those decisions. But, hey, look, we are in All-Star, so we are excited. We're pumped. Uh, we've been uh, working at this for seven years, as you noted. So we're ready to get going. Let me begin with this, and it sounds weird, but you know, when when planning and putting together any major event, Danny, you know, every once in a while, I guess it's inevitable that there are things in the eleventh hour that you realize, like, oh man, we need to, we we forgot to take care of this detail. I hate to say it that way, but that, that pop up, and then you realize you've got to address. Has there been one area that a year ago maybe you didn't think? was going to be an epicenter of focus that, in fact, you've put a lot of effort into and now you're proud of that you checked off that you didn't think you'd have to? So I don't think there's anything that you that we'd say at this point. I mean, we'll, we'll do a post-mortem when this is all over and look back, but I don't think there's anything that we would look at right now and say, oh, well, that you know we left that to the last minute or we didn't catch that. I think one thing that maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago um, we didn't expect, I don't think, to have given as much emphasis as we have is all of the art components that have gone into this. We've, you know, we're going to end up pumping collaborate, you know, collectively between the endowment and um, the Indy Championships Fund and the Arts Council and Gang Gang and everybody that's working on this, about $2 million into artists and the creative community and economy and things that are going to sustain itself. And there are some really cool elements to the art stuff and it's not just for people who like traditional art but like just the music the djs the lights um there's just gonna be really cool things to see and i think this probably was an element that if we were go back and look at what we were planning for 2021 may not have been such a focal point as it is now danny compared to everything else are the events and by the events i want to clarify that because there's a lot of events going on around the city these next couple days the NBA designated events, All-Star Saturday night, the All-Star game, the Celebrity game, Rising Stars, all that good stuff. For those events, are those actually the easiest part of this process for you guys? Or are those actually very complex machines to make sure they're all set and in the right order? 
Well, I mean, the reality is that the NBA is, is such a machine, and they're so good at doing this. I mean, the, the, the events team that, that has been working on this alongside us for uh, for all this time is so good and so experienced that they, they make it easy. Now, that's not to say it is easy, but they make it look easy, I guess. Um, but we, we're fortunate that we've, you know, uh, we've got, a re- I think, a really special relationship with, with the league. I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the fact that Herb Simons was the longest tenured owner uh, in the NBA. And, and there's just something there. I think there's a cohesion here because they realize that when we do these events, we're in it for, for real. I mean, we, we are doing things here that a lot of other host cities, I think, uh, didn't do. And it's just because you've got 400 people on your host committee and you've got all of these different organizations that you pulled to the table to ask them to participate and ask them for their feedback and their input in a meaningful way and giving them a seat at the table. So I think they appreciate that. The NBA appreciates that. And it makes, you know, having that kind of relationships makes the the conversation around, okay, so are we going to do all-star Saturday night at Lucas oil and be able to expand to 35,000 people? And uh, you know, are we going to do this and that? It makes those conversations a little bit easier, I think. Danny, it's funny how things work out. Danny Lopez is our guest from the Pacers. I, I, I know the disappointment for everybody, the city, the franchise, players to not be able to have the original designed all-star game here because of COVID. I mean, I get the disappointment and the letdown of that, but when you look at it in the way it turned out, how big is it for you guys as a franchise, not just to have Tyrese Halliburton now on the roster as a starter, but to have the personality of Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that, that just is such a vociferous and at the same time optimistic representation for your franchise yeah i mean that's that really is a great point because we've talked a lot about you know all the different elements like the renovations being done and and bicentennial unity plaza being done that we could activate and have things like tip off tomorrow uh, out there and be able to do those things that we wouldn't have been able to do in 2021 but uh but the element that we haven't talked about i think enough about is is having tyrese and and having him be this good and be a starter and to your point i mean he is such a special person not just on the court and the leadership and everything but off the court because he has been so selfless from day one and so embracing of the community that uh i I think the city and the state have really thrown their arms around him and so it makes this experience that much more special i think uh to have him involved i think certainly for for fans to have a hometown uh guy that's there and not just there but front and center and on the jw and all all that kind of thing i think is uh is really really special it's going to make this a, a truly memorable one Danny, one aspect of this that's maybe gets forgotten, and it's a shame that it does, not in your camp, but locally and maybe nationally, is the continued rise and the growth of the G League and it now being a part of the NBA All-Star Weekend with the G League up next game. And of course, two Mad Ants in Isaiah Wong and Oscar Shibway being representative of the franchise, being a part of that. That's taking place if I'm not mistaken, Sunday afternoon at the yeah. convention center before the All-Star game. How great has that been not just from the local angle of, of course, pumping up the Pacers feeder system and the Mad Ants, but having what the NBA has envisioned the G League being, which is a feeder system to the league, being represented on its highest stage. I mean, it's huge. We, you know, every single year, there's a higher and higher and higher percentage of guys that are playing in the league who have G League experience. So it just speaks to, you know, look, the reality is, and I, you know, people don't think about think about it all the time like this, but these are the this is the second essentially the second highest level of professional men's basketball in the world. Um, these guys are phenomenal, and they're phenomenal athletes, they're phenomenal players, and and that back and forth is 
is terrific. And then for us, it's it's a little bit extra special. We had the announcement, uh, obviously, last year of of, of bringing the team uh, to Noblesville and you know having a facility up there that's going to be the best facility in the G League uh, and, a, and a community that embraces it and, uh, and uh, you know neighborhoods around there that are going to just be so energized because of the Mad Ants uh, or the G League team up in Noblesville. So there's an opportunity, I think, for a lot of fans to experience that firsthand, experience our star players firsthand, and I think it's going to help gin up a lot of excitement for for what's coming to Hamilton County. Danny, when I was a kid, you've heard me mention this a thousand times, but when I was a kid, my parents would drive me down for events in downtown Indy and, you know, just to see the growth of the city, which was kind of the time when Indy was really starting to push its chest out a little bit. Um, For people that are going to come down right now, let's say the, you know, they've got a 10, 12, 15 year old kid and they want to come down and just soak in the ambiance and feel the electricity of All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis. I know, obviously, of crossover at the convention center where they can go through. I think it's $35 and and get their hands on basketballs and be kind of hands-on. But for you, Danny Lopez, what's the the real crown jewel? What's the thing that you say, you know, deep down, I really hope they go by and see this because, gosh darn, I'm proud of what we've done. You know, I think crossover is is certainly that. Um, I think Monument Circle is just going to be unbelievable, especially at night. I just think it's when when it's all lit and you've got the shining the light on, on the side of the building there, and I just think that's going to be a really special element. Um, I don't know if there's one thing I can point to. I mean, I can tell you, like I brought my kid down um, uh, this week, and and just walking around, we were just kind of taking taking a walk around downtown. As we were walking through, he was looking up at all of the buildings that are now stickered and have signed on them and they've got player signage on them and i mean you know it's just it's just cool it is a transformation of downtown i mean we we truly the advantage that we have here in indianapolis for these types of events is that it really is a campus it is not a sort of a one venue here and then five miles down the road you got another venue you got to drive to it is a campus so when people land at the airport and have the court in the atrium and see it and they see all the signage in the terminals or they get off the interstate and they're in, you know, downtown, they are going to feel that they are in an all-star experience. There's no way to get around it. So it, it is a different uh, approach and it's a transformation of the city. And I just think when people are here as they walk around and they're soaking it all in, I think they're just going to be overwhelmed with the number of activations and signage and lights and things, music and things that are going on all around them. Danny Lopez is our guest. Danny, walk us through the opening kickoff of all of this tomorrow, as I understand it, five o'clock at the bicentennial unit at the bicentennial Unity Plaza. Walk us through the start to this and how maybe those that haven't already circled their calendars, why haven't they, need to, and how they can be a part of it. Yeah, so uh, it's it's so first of all, we're tipping it off. We don't kick things off. We tip things off, especially All Star Weekend. But, yeah, that's my bad. <laughs> uh, but we got we got a tip we got a tip jar here for that for that sort of thing that we uh, like a swear jar. So, I'll send it to you. Um, so we've all <laughs> thanks. So it's tip off the tip off uh, again. It's another first of its kind element. This is not something that's been done in this way um, for previous All Star. So we're excited about that. Uh, I can't give away all the secrets, but, you know, there's going to be a, a national act that performs. Uh, there's going to be fireworks. There's going to be, uh, I, I, you know, really special uh, uh, recognition of a really special and important figure in, in Indianapolis to people in Indianapolis and to, and to people around basketball and the NBA. Uh, so we'll have that. We're going to have about 5,000 people in Bicentennial Union Plaza, so it is going to be packed. We're going to have folks in Commission Row that are going to be watching. At this point, uh, it is sold out. Um, so it sold out in, in probably, you know, 30 minutes, 
But I think people are going to be able to see the fireworks from anywhere that they are in downtown. And then, you know, we really want to encourage people to get over to uh, to the convention center from there because you got the TNT Roadshow and and Ernie and Shaq and those guys that are going to be uh, broadcasting from uh, from crossover. So it's there, again, I, I think there's elements to this that people are just going to be able to soak in, whether they've got tickets to this event or tickets to the game or tickets to any of the basketball events. Just being in the middle of this, I think, is going to be really cool. And you don't know when you're going to get it again. So what I what I keep encouraging people that I talk to is come down, experience it. You don't know when you're going to have it again. So we got to soak it in while it's here. So Danny, you then sleep for the second half of February, right? <laughs> I, I wish I got, I got enough going on. We, you know, we're right in the middle of the season. We got a game on Thursday, next Thursday. So uh, we're, we're, and then we got so many events and concerts happening here at Gamebridge. Obviously we're the bus- busiest building in the, in the state. So, uh, so this doesn't stop, but it, I, I, I might take a day and look, there's people that have been at this longer than me. I've been here for four years, but there are people that have been, uh, been here since since uh, Larry drove that Indy car on Fifth Avenue, and uh, they're the ones that really deserve the uh, the kudos, and they're also the ones that deserve a, a little bit of a rest. Danny Lopez, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications for the Indiana Pacers. Always a pleasure, Danny, and enjoy the fruits of the labor here over the course of the next couple of days. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. Appreciate it, Danny Lopez from the Pacers. Good stuff. You know they're. Um, is so much going on just around the area that they've already got kind of the big signage on the monument circle. I've got to check. Do we know if the, someone, Derek just asked me, do we know if the steps are up yet? Have they fixed the North end steps? I can't even see what the weather is outside, Jake. How do you expect me to know about the steps? I'm going to check on that. Can we give a step update? I'm going to go get okay. my steps and check the steps and then Works I'll for let me. you know, right? Eddie, go, go take our digital staff. We'll do a live shot of you on YouTube. You can do a live news report. <laughs> yeah, I'm here at the steps. Uh, like not, a man on the street interview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, disappointment last night in mid-major basketball, and it could have major implications. We will see whether or not it does. And... A coach from a major standpoint with Indiana ties is suddenly on LinkedIn. We'll explain next. Valen. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Valentine's Day as Eddie Garrison continues to remind us with the spinning love hits. In addition to that, it is also, by the way, National Donor Day. You can find out more about being a donor at DonateLifeIndiana.org. Just had somebody that texted me that said they are alive today because 28 weeks ago they had a heart transplant. My uncle had a heart transplant for that matter. Uh, Pretty easy to sign up to be a donor. There is no age limit or restriction in doing so. So National Donor Day today. Uh, last night, Indiana State beaten at home by Illinois State. That is an ugly loss for the Sycamores. Just on the heels of getting ranked, one would assume that that was short-lived in the top 25. And Josh Schertz was pretty open after the game of, hey, look, we played entitled. They were flat. But we were discussing this earlier, Jimmy, and that is, is this a loss that Indiana State cannot overcome? And it knocks them out of the – I mean, it, they're going to win the Moval, let's say – in this scenario that I'm talking about, they're going to, in the Moval tournament gets them in. But if they don't win the Missouri Valley postseason tournament, and and they have to then rest on their laurels, and this is this and a deep, let's say, championship game in the Moval tournament are their losses. Is this enough to bounce them out? No, because of the caveat you outlined. If this is the one stub of the toe against a team that, by any metric you look at, was 
the very bottom of the barrel of college basketball right now. They were 200th or 210th. They're now 192 after that win because of how good Indiana State has been all year. They're 9-1 and one in games of quad four, which is, again, bottom of the barrel of games you could have on your schedule this season. And that one loss is last night to Illinois State in a game they were never really in. As long as you don't have another one of those, you're fine. The trouble is you have a minefield to navigate your final five games of the season that feature other areas where you could stack bad losses on your tournament resume. The way that Indiana State has played all year, I firmly expect them to go on the road against Southern Illinois three nights from now, win, that would be a quad two win, which is the second best type of win you can have on your tournament resume. And if they do that, their final four games go quad four, quad four, quad three, quad three. That is at Valparaiso. There's about 340 schools in college athletics, college basketball. 288 is Valpo's ranking. 179 is UIC's. 176 is Evansville. 140 is Murray State. If you stub your toe twice, you're putting yourself in a situation where the committee is going to decide your fate if you don't win the Missouri Valley. If you write the ship and this is your only loss of that kind the rest of the way, you close on a five-game winning streak in the Missouri Valley Tournament, and you make a run to the final of it and lose, you probably still get in as an at-large. But you brought this up earlier, Jake. When you're in a mid-major conference, conference games are tough. Right. It, do, it does not matter if you're in the Big Ten or if you're in the Horizon And League. it's not really your fault if the rest of the conference isn't pulling their weight right. and thus giving you opportunity, right? I, I think, again, I think it goes back to this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. They got their they they got their toe stub here. Now they have no margin for error. They had a margin for error. They just spent it. Now no more margin, right? Now no more errors can be allowed for Indiana State. So doesn't help you, but if you take care of business and do what you're expected to do anyway, I don't know how much it hurts you. Maybe a seed line. Maybe. Don't pay attention to the top twenty five Indiana State fans. Just don't. I get it. It feels good. It's a great accomplishment. First time since Larry Bird. That's not what decides your fate. Look at the net and look You're at right. where mock bracketologists are putting you. Also, Chris Holtman out at Ohio State. That announcement coming today. We'll discuss that in a little bit more on the other side. Eddie Gill joins us in 20. Now, wait a whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Minute. Eddie was playing Valentine's Day songs, and now all of a sudden he's playing the tribute of a bunch of kids that are going around, <laughs> around looking for the body of Ray Brower. What are we doing here? What, what, what's going on here? Switch it up. Are you bringing up a Pez dispenser? You kind of, you know what, Eddie? You've seen Stand By Me, right? No, I have. It's a good thing you haven't seen it, Eddie, because you'd be really offended at what I'm about to say. But you are a hundred percent Vern from Stand By Me. You are one hundred percent, Jimmy. You've seen it, right? Yes, I have. Is he not Vern? Yes, yes. Did you bring a comb? Nope. You ever sit up at night wondering what Goofy is? Is he a dog? No. 
What about Pez dispensers? Do you like cherry-flavored Pez? No. Rebecca Romaine, are you familiar with her? No. Okay, well, you're married to her now, so... <laughs> For what that's worth, you end up winning in the end. Is I don't want to. I'm driving us down this hole, so I'll be brief. Stand by me, though. Lyrically, feels like it has love song like characteristics. Course. I mean, to yeah, it. of course. So I, I won't fully. I'm doing a play on words. I know yes, you are, but I correct. won't fully uh, knock Eddie Garrison. I feel like he still stayed to the love song motif for now. Now most let me ask night. you this: Should I be offended by this or think anything of it? Okay. Why Shannon text you this time? Oh, we're the Diamond Dogs now. All right. That's right. Ooh, oh. <laughs> you guys should have Ted Lasso. Um, okay, so Shannon has a few things going on tonight, as do I. And so she's like, we could do Valentine's Day tomorrow or later. And I said, okay, fine. And then 10 minutes later, I get this. Don't forget, I have to take my dad to that Pacer dinner tomorrow night at 7.30. Won't be home till 10. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> what do you know, right? Fair enough. I guess I'm out. Um, so you're just going to have a back-to-back-to-back-to-back Shawshank Redemption uh, marathon that's tonight? Right. Is that your plan? Uh, gym, gym night tomorrow. No, he's going to go watch Jeopardy once and then watch <laughs> the game go. with Shannon <laughs> later. Yep. And win all the bets. Uh, do we have, this is interesting, and I know we are going to talk about Chris Holtman in Ohio State, and you know we'll get into that, but, but something happened in the last couple of minutes that I think probably prioritizes over that. It was yesterday morning when Rick Carlisle went on with Kevin and Andy, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, as he does each and every Tuesday. And the Pacers head coach was talking about Benedict Matherin and had the following to say, and it it really piqued, P-I-Q-U-E-D, my interest, but my ears piqued, P-E-A-K-E-D, up when I heard it. Listen to the end of this from Rick Carlisle yesterday with those guys in the morning. Well, he was sick the other week. I'm trying to remember when this was. He... He missed two games. We started him against Sacramento because he was fresh. They were waiting on us, I think, coming out of New York. We started him in that game. Then he got then he got sick for a game or, or a game or two, and then and then came back. Um, he banged his leg in the game at New York three nights ago. I didn't think he looked right last night physically, and so we'll see where he is today. I mean. It's, Hates losing, hates missing games. Always says he's okay, but you know if he's not right, um, maybe he shouldn't be out there. You know, so we'll uh, we'll take a closer look at him today. But I'm, you know, I'm concerned about his health. That last part to me, you know, I'm concerned about his health. Yes, one more time, Eddie. You know, I'm concerned about his health. Now, what is the latest today from Benedict Matherin? And I realize it's one game left before the all-star break so maybe you're a little more cautious but what is the latest today what are you eating over there a sandwich what kind of sandwich are you eating ham and provolone okay you really are Did I miss it? From, you have a better angle than i what's the big deal about the sandwich he's just sitting there eating a sandwich i'm like i, I mean i realize that he's the game is the game jake you got to get the eating time in when you can if all he's got to do is press play on, I'm concerned about his health. That's fair. Then, you That's know, you got to get a bite of sandwich in there. Uh, but I was going to ask Eddie to be the one to give us the news from today. About I can provide Benedict the news. Matherin. Well, I, I had to wait till you were done with your sandwich. I'm not bi- even I, eating it right I now. I don't want to mama cast over here. Take a I bite took first two and bites then break of it news. during the break. <laughs> okay. Take a bite first, then break the news. Okay. Uh, 
per Dustin DePirac, he's got boots on the ground in Toronto. Uh, Benedict Matherin not present at shoot-around today. Uh, Rick Carlisle said it was because of an illness, and he hurt his right knee against the New York Knicks. And Miles Turner is questionable with an illness as well. So there is some sort of, and I'm not trying to make this, but there's like a flu bug going around, right? Because Jeremiah Johnson pointed that out the other day, that they're, you know, I don't know whether it would be, you know, anymore. I don't think they do like COVID, non-COVID, whatever else, but that's obviously highly contagious and, and, you know, you get, there are different forms of, of just kind of the hangover effect of that of sinus cold whatever it anything might be anything that but impacts your breathing in that sport is going to make play drop significantly very fair yes and that was the note <laughs> you're looking back over at the sandwich that was the note Eddie, how is the sandwich let us all in here how's everything go okay on the sandwich yeah it's good and what what is the meat that you put on the sandwich um i think it's honey ham any okay. condiments Mayo. Ah, (laughs) that's why I asked. Sit back down before I look at that. Jeremiah Johnson, as you mentioned, pointed that out, and that's part of the reason I'm willing to, not about the mayo, he pointed out the illness going around the Pacers locker room. That's why I'm willing to look at that Charlotte loss and say, a lot of bad happened in that game. It's a flush it and forget it type of matchup. And if there is stomach bug, flu, illness, whatever it is going around the team, Yes, that's going to impact your performance on the court. That's why you label it as an anomaly game, circle it and come back to it if it becomes a trend. When it pertains to Benedict Matherin, I have always kind of been a glass half full type of reactionist. And when Rick Carlisle says he's worried about his health, I think he's generally worried about the fact that he's been stacking now illnesses in the month of February combined with the bruised knee that clearly he needs a break. He needs rest as much as anybody does with the all-star break, not because he has miles on his legs. He's a fairly young player, but it's because when illness impacts you in that way, you become less efficient at doing your job. Ergo, a little bit of a break for you might be the best thing in the world, which is why, and this is legitimate, reckless speculation, tinfoil hat territory for the second time today, but this one's real. I do not think that Benedict Matherin goes in the skills challenge on Saturday night. I think they replace him with another pacer. I think it's Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, and somebody else because they want him to get as right as he can be. But what about Turner? Turner's sick too, right? But Turner's isn't. We're not we're as worried with the uh, you don't, comments when it, when it comes Carlisle. to When it comes to Miles Turner, you don't have... There's not a trend. Hey, Eddie... <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your lunch. Can you hit that Rick Carlisle sound again? You don't have this when it comes to Miles Turner. Well, he was sick. No, the, the, other, the ending part there. You know, I'm concerned about his health. Thank you. You didn't specify, so. Hey, okay. Eddie, can I get a number four as well, please? Would you get a chance? No, that that's my point, though. With Miles Turner, there's not this fear of consecutive illness strain that he's been unable to shake off to start this month. And it would make a lot of sense to me, especially if Benedict does not go tonight the illness combined with the sore slash bruised knee, whatever the diagnosis is there, that they give him the whole all-star break to rest, which I guess I'm going a tinfoil hat further and saying maybe he doesn't go in the Rising Stars game. Like th- that, that will be very telling for me of where they're evaluating yeah, his health you would, you if would he's assume, not a part of those events. You would assume that Benedict Matherin's not going in any of that unless he is literally 100%, right? Correct. 
especially if they're, they're worried about the, the knee bruise or the knee soreness, but more so the health, like just take some time off and get right, which by the way, bold prediction. If it's Benedict Matherin that takes a seat, is that TJ McConnell's music? How about that? Skills challenge. We go McConnell, Halliburton, and Turner. You know, one of the things that I was interested in when we were talking earlier to Adrian Wojnarowski and talking about just salaries of players, there are certain players in the NBA in any sport that have a higher value within a franchise than they would on the open market. And TJ McConnell is one of those. I think TJ McConnell and what he brings to the Pacers, the style of play, the cohesiveness, just the energy, he does kind of little things that you don't necessarily get on the rest of the roster. And I'm not saying he's the only guy that does those things in the league. But I think that he, if you really look at the way that the younger players in particular look to him, I think his value to the Pacers is much higher than it would be on any other roster. That's not to say that he wouldn't be able to develop that same value and contribution if he was on another team. But when you look at TJ McConnell making, if you had to guess right now, Eddie Garrison, I'll ask you, and make sure you're, let me stand up, make sure you're good to go here. Okay. Eddie Garrison, I will ask you, if you had to guess TJ McConnell's salary, if you know, just confess. Do you know his salary? No. Okay. If you would, if you had to guess, you would say he's the kind of guy that gets paid about what? Four million. Okay. Jimmy, your I guess? Know, I know. It's eight and a half, right? Yeah. And you look at it and you go, eight and a half? You know, that's a guy that's giving you 18 minutes every single night and 12 points. Well, his value to Indiana is worth eight and a half. Because of the younger players and just the overall, there's something about what he brings to the table. And I know I've said this a thousand times, but during the pregame introductions, when he stands there and he has a different like handshake, high five, what would you call it? A, a yeah, dap, pregame dap handshake, session? Yeah, yeah. But, but they do like, it's more like a patty cake, right? I mean, like they do like a whole ritual. But he's got a different one for literally it's every single player on the roster. Correct. A different choreographed, choreographed handshake. handshake with every player on the roster. And you can see that it, it it lightens the mood for guys and it loosens guys up and it just creates. You want guys that you're happy to be around on totally. the roster. And that's exactly what he is, right? That matters at every level. Even if the player in question that is the one that's creating the great times and the good vibes you, you know isn't what, an all-star, that's okay. You know what he probably does? Schedules lunch around his practice schedule, right? Just for example. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't go fully down that well because I have done exactly what Eddie's doing, which is you got to squeeze lunch in sometimes. But really? you're right. I bet he does. So here's the problem, Jake. I have to fit my lunch in. I also have to fit my dinner in as well because I have to be back here working the Pacer game tonight. So I can't. Okay. I don't have the the liberty of eating dinner whenever I, I would like. So I have to fit the two in. Now, hold on. Let me check on the sandwich here. Is it gone? Yeah. Holy Consumed. cow. Well, yeah. When you're, You are like Vern with a che cherry Pez, man. When that you're, was impressive. When you're throwing guilt on him like that, he's got to scarf it down so it stops being a show topic. Yeah. I mean, that was impressive. <laughs> You were like Frank the Tank on that, but you don't even get that reference, right? Um, so Pacers in action 
Toronto Raptors, Eddie Gill coming up in just a couple of minutes. I do think the Matherin thing. I don't. I don't want to go. I think down it's the a storyline we forget. Much. I think it's a storyline we forget about in a month. I really do. That might be the optimist in me, but I just think it's. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. It's a critical time for him, though. Yeah. Because, and again, a week or a month or a few games does not a season make. Mm-hmm. But this is the time where you know one would assume that now you know you are, as you look at it you are kind of handing things over to him a little bit and he's going to be elevated and that's an important time for him uh, you know to to be able to to take advantage yeah. of that and and yeah i mean he's going to have plenty of opportunity glass half full look but at that but if you're him you want to get that opportunity going now right yes but glass half full look at that this is arguably the best time to have an illness bug happen because you have the extended layoff to get right they only have one game left now where this really matters right and then you have the off days until you're Back in action against Toronto, or not Toronto, excuse me, uh, Detroit at home eight days from now. So if you were to pick a time for it to happen, better it happen in this last stretch of play versus early portion of the season combined with like a late season. If this is happening in April, then you have a problem. But look, we're all we're all battling it to some extent. I want to clarify this on the front end. I am not Benedict Matherin in every way, shape, or form. I don't have the athleticism, the talent, the swag, I don't have any of it. But like I've been battling a cold the last couple weeks, and it won't go away. Like sometimes right. it just it, it lingers because of this time of year. So I, I feel like get him some rest, get him some relaxation, and by the time you're looking at this in March, it'll be an afterthought of hey, remember that one time when we were worried about the health of the future star of the Pacers? Uh, joining us now in the program, you will see him on the pregame and postgame discussion with Jeremiah Johnson, also on the radio with Mark Boyle from time to time, Eddie Gill from the Pacers. Uh, Eddie, I'll begin with this. Are you feeling okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm good to go. How you guys doing? Uh, we are good. I, we were just talking about the fact that, and you tell me if I'm if I need to be concerned. I guess you know Rick Carlisle had said yesterday on our morning show with KB and Andy that he had concerns about Matherin's health. Um, Matherin had hurt his leg. He had called it leg injury against the Knicks. He did not practice today, and it is listed as like health and leg both. Is there any within the team kind of, I mean, I guess I'll just say a cold bug going around and Matherin it's been more stubborn with? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. That's probably even a better question for Rick to answer. I'm not sure how he would have answered that. Um, I, although I'm around them and, and with them as we, as we travel and those types of things, can't say that I'm, I'm keeping great tabs on, on the, on the, on their health of their team or in terms of, you know, a sickness or, or bug and that kind of thing. I do understand it's that time of season, and yeah, over time it, it, it hits a little bit of everyone. But um, in terms of extent or how how bad it is, I'm not sure. How important a period is this? And we'll begin with Benedict Matherin, uh, since we're, that's the topic. When you when you have the trade, Buddy Heald is now in Philly and playing well. Um, how long does it take to kind of settle in, Eddie? When you have you know new rotation. And how important a time period is it for Benedict Matherin, for example, with his role seemingly elevating? Um, I think it's it would uh, be less of an, an adjustment for him just by virtue of him being here for you know a year and a half, almost two years now. Uh, so he's been in the system, he's been with the coaching staff, he's been with the majority of these players. Um, so he has played in, in starter roles. Um, even as, as as his rookie year, he was able to play some some, uh, some of that a little bit and. 
and ex- added expectations and responsibility he's been able to take advantage of and, and really just embrace. He's a, he's a fearless kid and, and just looking to grow and, and wants to be coached hard and, and those types of things. So um, I'm still optimistic about what, what his future is and, and definitely not too concerned with um, the elevated role that he may see here in the near future. Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network, is our guest. Eddie, the Pacers have lost two of their last three, but you zoom out a little further, they've won three of their last five, so it all depends on how you want to look at that. I don't mean this question negatively, because I feel like they still have everything in front of them, but with the illness that's going around and the last memory in our mind, maybe they changed that against Toronto, but the last memory we have before the All-Star break is their struggles against Charlotte. Does this feel like a team that needs the all-star break not not in a sense that like they're on a downward path but that this reprieve could be good for them in the long run i think it will be good good for them i think it's actually good for the entire nba everyone around this time um and to your first point everyone is dealing with something whether it's a, a sickness due to the you know obviously the weather and, and and just bugs going around or it's just the inevitability of just the wear of the season where there are just nagging injuries where everyone could afford uh, an opportunity to, to sit down and rest and decompress both mentally and physical physically. Uh, I think this definitely will be will suit the patients well based on their kind of up and downs over the last couple weeks or so. Um, obviously, having this game here with, with the Raptors, you'd like to, to go into the break on a positive note, feel good about yourself uh, as you look towards the the back end of the of All Star break and really start to make that playoff push. Eddie Gill is our guest. Eddie, when I watched Indiana for the vast majority of the season, really, one of the things that jumps out at me, in particular offensively, is their incredible ball movement around the perimeter. You know, oftentimes, even, and Buddy Heel was a big part of that because he was such a good cutter t- towards getting towards open space and, and guys knowing where he was going. But their ability to move the ball around even deep into half court sets to me, was has been very impressive. However, does that get stalled, I don't mean forever, but temporarily with the Pascal Siakam because you now have a piece that is a new part of the motion of the wheel that just is not instinctive with those around him? Have we seen that so far? Um, in some cases, I don't necessarily attribute it to the Pascal Siakam being with the team because I think there's been times for even with him that not on the floor. Sometimes the offense is stall, but I do think they do a tremendous job of moving the basketball, whether it's in tra- transition, fast breaks, um, and as you referenced there in, in the half court, they, they don't really have any what, what we call ball stoppers on the team, where guys are just catching it and dribbling, pounding the air out the out the basketball, and then you know shoot a shot with the with the clock winding down. Um, so they do a, a really good job of moving it. You know, when in some cases where it doesn't happen, then obviously that's when you'll see the, the offense stall, but. Um, I do like the addition of Siakam, but for when, in some cases, even especially when the playoffs start to wear on, the, the games will slow down, and you won't be able to get that quick offense that they've been grown so accustomed to doing. If you have a guy like him, you can put him in the post and still create double teams and, and find open shooters. So um, I think it's a great acquisition, and uh, ultimately, to, to your point, when the ball is moving and players moving, that's when they're at their best. When you were a player, Eddie, and and certainly i could probably look this up and you're you know immediately i'm going to go what a dumb question but did you have major like in-season trades when you were playing i, I can't remember i can't recall off the top of my head 
if there would have no, been that not, sort of a thing. Not, not for not for me personally. Are you saying for me personally? Yeah, no, I mean I mean to the roster. In other words, you know, you being a point guard, for example, is a, you're a perfect yep. person to say this. How long does it take when you would have a, a roster change in midseason? How long did it take for you to feel totally acclimated as a team with the new piece that was coming in? I follow you now. Yeah, so yeah, it, there is definitely an adjustment. Um, it, and, uh, there's some varying factors to it, though, uh, depending on the player, uh, his style. Does he fit with the style? Is he completely contrasting to your style and those types of things? But just overall, it probably will take you know a month or so before you're completely integrated and feel really good about what you're doing. Oftentimes, it's that the new guy's coming in and some he's filling filling out what terminology may be. Uh, specifically on the defensive end of the floor, I think that's where the biggest adjustments may be because you may be coming from a system in which terminology is a little bit different, um, concepts are a little bit different. Maybe you're coming from a team that that likes to pressure up, play a little bit more man-to-man. Other teams play more zone or any zone at all or no zone at all, those types of things. So I think defensively is where the biggest adjustment will be. Um, But with with the Pacers playing uh, somewhat of a random style and it's more about reading and reacting, they do have some sets offensively, but – uh, oftentimes, it's get the ball to Tyrese and let him make it happen. <laughs> but they all they all do a great job of sharing the basketball. They, there's no one holding it. You know, if they draw a double team, they find an open open teammate. So it's it's really uh, it's really good and refreshing to watch. And it, that's the easier adjustment for, as you as you watch what they do. Pacers Radio Network analyst Eddie Gill, nice enough to take some time with us. Eddie, in that same vein, Jake asked you about a player coming in and how long it takes continuity to form. In the Pacers' case, they send out Buddy Heald, who had been sluggish the last couple of games, at least by his standards prior to the trade, but is one of the most prolific three-point scorers in the NBA today and was really able to be a key piece to this offense. How long can you expect, or what's a fair window, to get a clear evaluation for the Pacers to adjust to life without Buddy Heald? Uh, I think you just see how it all transpires over the remainder of the season to, to see how that all looks and, and, um, and who fills that role. Um, I think he was he was great great for the team. Floor spacer, he cuts off the basketball. He started to really evolve as a player and not just a guy who's spacing the floor shooting three-point shots, even though he's one of the best to ever do it. Uh, he'll go down in the history of the game in terms of amongst the league leaders, the three-point makes, percentage, and all those types of things. But he, he proved to be more than just a, a spacer of the, of the ball, a spacer of the floor, um, a willing passer, a guy who can drive it a little bit. So um, you'll just see how they'll have to fill in that gap over the, the course of the season, but but I'm confident that they have the pieces to get that done. It's probably pretty clear from all of our seats that Benedict Matherin has the most to gain post-Buddy Heald trade, but when you look at the rest of the roster, where else do you see opportunities now with Buddy Heald gone as they allocate those minutes? Well, I think you've seen it with Andrew Nembhard. Uh Rick uh, really likes him, you know, playing in that starting lineup uh, alongside Tyrus Halliburton, takes some of the playmaking responsibilities off his hands, but even more importantly, things he able, he's able to do defensively uh, uh, in terms of pressure and making life tough on, on the opposing point guard or whoever that best perimeter player may be. Both he and Neesmith are kind of sharing that responsibility. Um, but you're, you're seeing that for sure with him and, um, Benedict Matherin, you know, went, went healthy. You, you may see him at some point. Who, who knows what they're going to do with, with that in terms of him starting or not? But he's been terrific coming off the bench. You know, leading leading that bench unit and scoring and, and getting things done there. So I think 
initially Nimhard and, and, and Ben, once he's back in the lineup, we'll, we'll see the, the, the bulk of those minutes. You know what I love about Nimhard, Eddie? He looks like the kind of guy that if you walked up to Andrew Nimhard and said, like, you've just won the Powerball, $550 million, he'd go, yeah, cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like this dude this dude is like one aspirin from a coma. Like You know what I mean? He just is unflappable, right? Oh, man, the most unbelievable disposition of, of any guy out there in terms of you talk about not getting too high or too low about anything. That is, that is him to a T. It reminds me of uh, the story that um, – Pat Mahomes just told with with Hardman saying, "Hey, you, you know, we just won the Super, the Super Bowl, right?" <laughs> like the guy wasn't celebrating it in, but but that's that's a uh, that's into a T, and you gotta you like to have guys like that on your team because you know they're going to stay calm and amidst um, chaos, uh, especially in, when when it gets tight and in tight games. He's you know a type of guy that can be on the floor and, and be productive and not not get too wound up. So we were just talking about Eddie Gill, our guest from Pacers Television and Radio, for that matter, but the former Pacer. Uh, we were just talking about Eddie. Guys on a roster that have a greater value to their team than they might on the open market elsewhere. And to me, it's TJ McConnell for this group. I mean, I'm not there all the time. You're, you see it much closer than do I. But TJ McConnell definitely has like this kind of it factor with his team and – I just I don't know that that translates if suddenly he's doing the same thing at Cleveland or wherever, right? Who was that guy when you played? Who was the guy that you when you played that was such an important player on the bus and in the locker room and everything else, but the typical fan wouldn't realize it? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really tough one. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. Um, you know those 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 the Pacers the Pacers team that I that I was on and um, James Johnson is, is that guy. He's um, or I said James Johnson. James Jones is who I played with. James Johnson is currently with the Pacers. But and James kind of Jones, that same guy also, right? Yeah, but James Jones was a guy who was um, really tough on D, space the floor, great great work ethic. I, I mean, great character, just a great guy all, all in all. Um, not one of these big, boisterous personalities that you, you're going to see from afar, but a guy who was – completely professional, does his job, super effective. And um, he went on to, to play for other teams and was really effective uh, with his shot-making and, and, and his ability to get things done. And um, So if, if I had to make a comparison, although two very different games, but in terms of impact on the team, uh, that would be him. I guess that's probably why James Johnson went on to become a professional president of basketball operations in the NBA, right? Or James Jones, I mean. <laughs> James Jones did. Yeah. Uh, now, James. Okay, so let me get you. Let me ask you this, then, Eddie. James Johnson, who we both just had a Freudian slip with. That's right. <laughs> a lot of Pacer fans probably look at it and go, "Man, like they keep re-signing him to ten-day deals and ten-day deals, and and they keep prioritizing having him in that locker room, but yet he's never on the floor. What is it that he brings, and what is it that makes him personally so important to this franchise, where they keep bringing him back?" I think there's something to be said about um, the era in which he came into the league in, um, in the kind of the, the mid 2000s, um, and there was a certain approach to the game that he's able to continue to still convey to these younger players that's still important to the game in terms of um, not only just IQ and how to see the game, how to read the game, but a, a certain toughness that that's important for the game. Um, a certain mentality in terms of resiliency and from one play to the next, whether it's good or bad. Um, 
and then also just a guy that you have that said, hey, I've, I've been there and been able to, to, to get this done on this level at a, at a high level. So it's, it's really invaluable um, to, to have guys, especially when you have so many, so many young players when you think about guys like Isaiah Jackson, uh, Jalen Smith, um, who, who he's played that position at, at this level. Um, so it's good to have him in, in their ear. Obviously, Miles Turner is the, the longest tenured um, player with the, with the Pacers, but even James Johnson is, is able to be able to provide some some guidance and some wisdom to him as well. So um, it's an invaluable resource being able to have a guy like that at the end of the bench um, to to really just speak to the, his wisdom and his his experiences and kind of share that with the young guy. Now, Eddie, you're in Toronto, correct? Correct. Okay, um, what do you do in your free time? Because I have a suggestion. But have you gotten a chance to like walk around Young Street? Or you guys have been there, I think, a day. So anything fun on the docket? No, it, it, this time of year in Toronto, outside is is, uh, is not the, the greatest. For That's me. probably <laughs> true. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not a I'm not into the cold, even though I've been around the cold my entire life. <laughs> but um, yeah, so. I, I don't really do too much, especially during the day. Well, Roots Canada is my favorite clothing store. Like 90% of my wardrobe is from Roots Canada. And I thought maybe you could do us all a favor by taking Jeremiah over there and getting him out of some of the Ron Burgundy sport coats he wears. Is that a decent okay, idea? I'll make, sure I, I'll make sure I share that with him. And then go out and get a Barking Squirrel, which is the best um, brown like nut ale beer that you can get in Canada. You can't get it in the U.S., just so you know. But – uh, once you come okay. back, Eddie, it's All-Star time. All-Star weekend is upon us. I would assume that Eddie Gill probably has a full dance card in terms of the events that you will be a part of once you come back to Indianapolis, correct? Yes, there's a there's, this going to be a busy one. I, you know, We'll probably land one or two this morning, and I need to be at Christmas Attics at 8, 8.30 tomorrow morning. So it'll, it'll start from that point on all the way through Sunday with uh, a fair amount of community engagement events. Um, try to get my family involved in some different things that are obviously the, the NBA crossover stuff like that. Get them involved in that, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll be nonstop with with different events. And there's a, I got a food drive that I'm hosting on the far east side of Indianapolis on, on Friday morning with the uh, Retired Players Association uh, in conjunction with the Gleaners Food Bank. That'll be yeah, that's tomorrow. Speaking on a couple panels panel Saturday morning, so it'll be it'll be a busy one. But and it, what's going be on? A great at, one. It's going to be a great time for the city. What's going on at Christmas Addicts tomorrow morning? Christmas Addicts partnering with the Retired Players Association. I'm if you remember Jerome Williams, JYD, Detroit Pistons. Yep. Um, he's got a foundation called Shooting for Peace. And ultimately, we're, we'll get in there and visit some classrooms. There's going to be a poetry contest, uh, give out some, some collegiate scholarships, um, give away some laptops. We're going to have like a little celebrity game and then finish the day. We'll finish the day with a clinic. And then um, I've invited the IMPD in. They do a they do a game called Juvenile Jeopardy in which uh, they interact with some the youth there and they teach this a game really about interaction with um, with the police department out in, in the communities right it was something that uh, I started to do quite some time ago in some other different camps that I've had so a community can kind of see a police department in in, in in a different light and and vice versa so uh, when they do see each other out in some of these. Uh, hostile environments or tense environments they don't end the way we've seen them in in some some scenarios crispus addicts high school the first african-american high school to win an undefeated state championship in basketball in any state in the united states they did that in 1956 here in indianapolis and of course one of the crown jewels um, not only from an education standpoint for years on the very near east side of downtown indiana or excuse me west side of downtown indianapolis but also 
uh, throughout the state, a huge part of our state's history. Eddie, enjoy yeah. that tomorrow. Get some caffeine once you land, and we look forward to enjoying all of the festivities of All-Star Weekend. Absolutely. It'll be a great great, uh, great week for the city, and uh, looking forward to being a part of it. Eddie Gill, who, of course, you can watch on the pre- and post-game for the Pacers and Toronto Raptors tonight up in Canada. Uh, Eddie, or Jimmy, you have or have not been to Canada? Once when I was little, we went to Niagara Falls. And you know what? We got the raw deal in that. They got the cool side. We went to the cool side. To yeah, Canada that. got the cool yeah, falls, yeah. right? Yes. We got the like, you know, yeah. yeah, okay. The horseshoe falls, though. But now, like, isn't it all like touristed out? It's like, you know, get your name on a grain of rice and get your stamp on a penny and, you know, the whole deal, right? I mean, you know how tourism goes. I would assume so. Again, I was probably five or six when we last went there. But. I threw a nickel inside Niagara Falls when I was a kid, and I think it's still there. Did your right? wish come true? <laughs> I, I, my, the same I think way. my wish was to get the nickel back to be honest with you and then it turned out to just be a crappy canadian band i thought you wanted my sandwich <laughs> no no it has mayo on it eddie no thanks there are whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you Several ways in which this song might like trigger your memory of different things in the multimedia world. I believe this is in Top Gun. Yes, sir. Goes without saying that this hit song from Berlin is a mood setter for Valentine's Day, right? And if you are the dork that I am, it instantly reminds you of one of the NBA dunk videos Okay, we're going to do one of my challenges. Oh, no. I want people to text me right now at 523-9288. 317 area code? It is indeed. 317-523-9288. If that song, Take My Breath Away by Berlin, is it still playing, Eddie? Reminds anybody else of the NBA Fantastic Dunks video from like 1988 with Michael Jordan. They showed Jordan like doing all kinds of dunks to this song. And I can't be the only dork that when I hear this, that's what I think of. In addition, if you text me at 317-523-9288, time permitting, we can uh, give a shout out to your Valentine if you'd like. Tell me your name and the name of your Valentine and I will just go ahead and get it out there for you. Jake, it was the Jordan NBA superstar video. That is correct. Remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, that was back in the days of like you'd get a VHS tape like that and just wear it out, right? You'd get a tape and you're like, oh man, you just watch it nonstop. I think it probably had Dominique Wilkins in it. Look, I don't and I don't judge you on any of that. Tom Chambers I, I probably. Was, I pulled back out the PlayStation 2 the other day, was playing with one of my nephews. There's a game, NBA Street Volume 2. The soundtrack on yes. that game was amazing. And you have moments like that where you hear a song, you figure out where you place it, and sometimes it's in a popular movie, sometimes it's a dunk video. Josh, I'd like to wish you a happy Valentine's Day to your Valentine and yourself in Plainfield, Josh and Melissa. Guys, put your hands together for Josh and Melissa in Plainfield. To me, that sounded like he was wishing himself a happy Valentine's Day with the way you were phrasing that at first. I was like, oh boy. Also, that voiceover work was, you know interesting in terms of Meryl shout out to my lovely Valentine Amy Amy and Meryl happy Valentine's Day happy happy Valentine's Day by the way 
One other one from Eddie White. You are indeed a dork. But I'd like to give my Valentine's to the greatest coach who should be in the North Central Hall of Fame. That from Eddie White to his wife. Um, I got in because somebody got in trouble and they had to put somebody up to replace this blank spot on the wall. So if I get arrested, then they'll have an open spot, right? She probably should be in the Hall of Fame. We'll come back, hand it off to John next. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. Last one until next week. But, Eddie, it is still going strong. Champions League action today. We'll take Bayern Munich over Lazio on the money line. That getting started at 3 o'clock today. Same time frame. Give me Paris Saint-Germain. PSG over Real Sociedad in that same game as well. Kylian Mbappe will score a goal. Take Kylian Mbappe as an anytime goal scorer. Back to the States for I give JMV a headache. Over 34.5 points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton tonight as the Pacers are in Toronto for their final game before the All-Star break. Eddie, any bets from you today? No. Those are your bets on a Wednesday. So on Valentine's Day, you are predicting some bopping. Is that right? Like Indeed, that. I am. Mbappé. By the way, happy Valentine's Day from Jackson to Chelsea, from Dennis to Sally. Happy Valentine's Day, somebody said, to Brandon Bowden, from Nick to Sloan, and from Brett to Andrea. Happy Valentine's Day to all. Oh, be mine. Happy Valentine's Day to Haley Cook. Give my wife a shout out. John, were you... What's your favorite slow jam? Jake Query. If you're going to play something where... Well, I better not put it that way. If we're going to play something, yeah, that's probably right. Like Saigon Kick. Love is on the way. How about Beth? Can I go with Beth? Oh, yeah. Beth, I hear you calling. I can't come home right now. That's right. Me and the boys are at a big pile of chicks, and we'll be home about 6 (laughs) a.m. That was was the drummer that came up with that, Peter Chris. Because you know typically the last thing a drummer Mm -hmm. says in a band, don't you? Hey, guys, let's do some of my work. But in that yeah. one, that was arguably their biggest hit. Uh, yeah. John, did you happen to hear, because it's right in your wheelhouse, I thought it was fun talking to Ralph Sampson earlier. I think Ralph Sampson's awesome. He was great. Um, that that shot awesome. he had, remember when they beat the Lakers in the postseason? And that I was telling these guys, that's got to be the most... I want to ask you both a question about that. Okay. Did they just not do celebrations right in the 80s? Like, that was the most subdued road no, celebration no, no, I've ever there, seen. I've done that mentality. I mean, now you, you celebrate when somebody cuts one. That's what, that's what I told Jake. So, that, yeah. That's a week Which, four of the NBA yeah. season type celebration they just, today. It's like been there, done that mentality. Think of all the times Walter Payton scored. And he just said, hey, here's the football, whatever. Right. They all did that Well, now, then. you know, it's the – now a guy scores a, scores a goal in soccer and, like, the yeah. game just stops for six Mbappe, minutes, right? Hopefully helping out Jimmy and his <laughs> scoopage. Could use some Mbappe in yeah, my scoopage for sure. Ralph Sampson, by the way, I thought the highlight of the, the interview, about 20 minutes with him or something like that, was I asked him at the end about Jerry Seasting when he and oh, Seasting yeah. got in a fight in 86. Did he bite him? And he, what well, he said, he goes, well, he started it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> well, if I go to dinner with Jerry Seasting at St. Elmo when I'm in town, uh, he's buying because I'm allergic to shrimp and Jerry Seasting. So I'll take a steak. Love it. <laughs> said, All right. Well, yeah, did you ask cool. him about Chaminade? Man, I forgot about Chaminade. Yeah, the biggest upset in yeah, Chaminade. college so, history. Like when I think about him, I think about that. And, I wanted um, to ask also about not to cut you off there the the you know having to play in a consolation game in the final four the last right, time to do that right well and then yeah oh my god the consolation game 
It's true. But they actually, remember, they were they beat IU the year after he went to uh, Correct. Went to the NBA Correct. when they had Olden Polonies. Exactly. And Rick Carlisle. Big man. Rick Carlisle and Othell 50 Wilson. 50 to 48, they beat him. I think Othell Wilson kind of, did he not beat the crap out of IU? He did. 50 to 48 was a final on that game in the East Regional, Southeast Regional final to go to the final the four Omni. in. Um, that's correct because they had beaten Carolina and then the final four that year was in 84 in Seattle. 84 John? in Seattle at Georgetown, that's Houston. That's correct. Uh, uh, Georgetown, Houston, uh, Virginia. Yep. And I don't know who's the other one. The Kentucky Wildcats. Oh, yeah. Kenny Skywalker. Kentucky. Did you guys rip Sam on Dewey. Indiana State? We did talk about Indiana oh, State. I'm sorry. There, there's no way any committee is going to let them in. You better win it. You got to be win it. If you don't oh, stop you your toe, I think they get one pass, John. I think they get one pass. Not against that crap water team they no, lost to last it. night. I God, get it, but dang. I think they get one. They lost to the YMCA All-Stars last night. <laughs> they stuck they got a couple more ones. crap waters on the schedule, though. If <laughs> yeah. they do that again, I'm with you, John. They could lose on Saturday. They win out. I think they're okay. All right, Eddie, easy. We're going to break. Take it easy. <laughs> and he's doing jumping jacks, <laughs> working off that ham sandwich that he ate. <laughs> John's up next. Hey, boys.